Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Back like a bad habit. Feels so wrong. Feels so right at the same time. It's Morning Combat. Hello, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I am one half of your hosting duo on this 27th of September 2021. I am joined by my partner in crime. He is the king of Connecticut, the landed, well, he's royalty, if not the landed gentry. He is my friend and yours. It's Brian Campbell. BC, how was your weekend, good sir? Did you just call me gentrified, Luke? Is that how you described me? Landed gentry is a little bit different than royalty, but no, All not right. quite. What's All up? Right. Good weekend in, in the... Uh... In the beautiful autumn, Luke, that is that is just about upon us here in New England. If you if you don't know, you should know. Okay, uh, what a time to be alive! I mean, fall they say, Luke, is the best holiday, the best season, and there's no better place to celebrate it than here in Connecticut when you're the king. Happy to be back, Luke. I've willed, I've walked, I've read, I've talked, <laughs> I've been here before. But like that song's next line, Luke. Hey, now we won't be raped. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, Luke, it's a great time for combat sports. Uh, you asked me how my weekend was. Yeah, I did get some family time, but my weekend was Usyk Joshua and UFC 266. And boy, yeah. did that shit ever deliver. I mean, right here, Luke. Come on, bro. Come on. Right here, right now. There's no other place I'd rather be. I'll put it to you that way. Wow, uh, little, wow, Jesus little, Jones little Jesus Jones you. on that ass. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. You got Dude, any EMF like- in there? Yeah. Uh, two things I got to say, BC. One thing we should open the show with is, you know, uh, Sunday was finally the last day, obviously beginning last Monday for that full week that we had pressing into UFC 266 and Joshua Usyk, and it was a long, hard slog. There was resume reviews. There was the the the, the barfing on the rooftop. There was late nights with instant reacts, and even early a- uh, evenings instant reacts were yours with with obviously the the boxing results. There was a lot that we went through last week. So first of all, thanks to all the fans who came along with us. If you're new here, we appreciate it. We will get the show started momentarily. Uh, I just wanted to thank everyone who was part of that little that, that little mini push that we did. Second thing I'd say, BC, is I saw Guns N' Roses last night in Baltimore. Woo! Third time I've seen GNR. Well, second time I've seen GNR. I saw them once when it was Axel and Buckethead. That doesn't really, doesn't yes. really count. And Dizzy um, Reed on the keys, Luke. Okay, never Yeah, forget. I mean, right. here's the thing. Like, they're really good no matter who Axel is playing with, but it's not the real thing unless you see Guns N' Roses. Let me just say this real quick. First of all, my wife and I paid um, this. We've, we've always gotten bleeders. We've never had, never once have we had nice tickets. We decided yeah. finally to get nice tickets. We had front row seats, dude, right up front. There was not a person in front of us. could have made a high school dating joke about that bleeders line, but I don't, I don't really go down that road. Come on, keep it going. <laughs> keep it going. I'm just, I'm just going to say, we had never had nice seats before, so we finally decided to get nice seats. Now, I'm not the biggest GNR fan. I mean, I like them. Don't get me wrong. My wife loves them, yeah. so we didn't go see them. Yeah. Let me say, let me say this about GNR. They do a, a, I mean, their live show, if you've not seen it, I cannot recommend it enough. These guys are pros beyond pros beyond pros. They have so many hits, it's kind of shocking how many they have. And they're great showmen. You know who carries that show? And I, I've seen them, well, again, three times, but twice now with Slash. I'm going to guess Slash, Slash carries that yeah, show. Oh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's the heavyweight of that stage. Everyone thinks Axel is the guy, and obviously he's a showman. When they played November Rain, they brought out a piano, and his seat was the back half of a motorcycle. I mean, he does it up big, okay? I'm not going to say he doesn't. But the dude who carries that show, it's Slash, bro. He is un 
unbelievable when Axel goes off and gets a 10-minute rest, Slash is up there doing the do the whole time, never sweats, never loses breath. He's unbelievable. I mean, I grew up in the in the midst. In fact, like probably the coolest thing my dad would ever do was every day I'd get home from school in like fifth grade, I'd go down in the basement and he'd be like, it's time for your daily dose. And he'd pump welcome to the jungle at like ear bleeding levels of, of sound. So I grew up realizing, Luke, how great that band was and that Slash is actually one of the greatest guitarists of all time. I'm blown away at how many rock fans dismiss GNR put them in the hair metal group which they're not even close they're no. they're legitimate rock and roll and uh 100%. glad you were able to have that experience was it was it Izzy Stradlin on rhythm guitar or they got who, who they got these days do you know um some guy who was really good uh, Robert Fillmore or something okay. something different okay. but they did have what's his face on the keys du- what was his name they got Dizzy Reed on the key they had Duff McKagan Dizzy on Reed. bass right yeah, and then they have Duff McKagan. Duff McKagan was in great shape, and they had yeah. some other uh, girl there doing sort of smaller uh, roles in the production. Dude, they, I mean, they had. We were in the Royal Farms Arena, completely sold out. Like they killed it. They and they did a three and a half hour set the whole wow. time. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. A lot frankly. of white like, lightning they're, involved they're, to fuel that, Luke. Uh, all, yeah. Our documentarian, less than Jake, by the way, his girlfriend dragged him to a. Portugal the man concert over the weekend I think in Jersey Luke uh friend of the show there by the way shout out to John and the boys and Jake said uh he loved it so much he's now a, a fan for life so it was happy to go. see that just the same all right so uh, let's remind folks if you're new here thumbs up on the video hit subscribe if you have been somebody who hit subscribe over the weekend welcome we do this three times a week 11 a.m in the east Monday Wednesday Friday plus a ton more content, but thank you for being along for the ride. If you would like to try Showtime, and by the way, Bellator is back in action this coming weekend, go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, go and do whatever it is you do with your life. BC, I see you've got some nice new merch on. Where can folks get that sick-ass Morning Combat Fight Club shirt? That's what I'm talking about, Luke. Morningcombat.store is your official website. You want to dip into our new Factory Town MMA launch. Uh, you want to get the, the mugs. Uh, this is the old-school mug, but there's much better ones on that website. Please, this is the best way to support us because, uh, you know, you can wear this shit and look cool in your daily life. So please head on over to that website. We have more designs coming, and they are badass. Luke, the new Factory Town shirt is badass hasn't hit the streets yet i'm told in about a week it will uh love love what we're doing here at merch 2.0 shout out to rj grundlemaker and the boys behind the scenes um good good shit and luke speaking of less than jake in the dock i was told i need to apologize to the fans for over hyping them up and and under promising on the launch of documentary 5.0 donkeymentary 5.0 which i believe is going to be titled healing luke um there were some promises made that it would be ready now. It looks like possibly Wednesday this week. I, I would love to say it's my fault, Luke, but it's not. And also, uh, they needed to take out some incendiary comments made by yourself. So we got to just edit that up a little bit. Pass legal. No more Pat Tillman jokes. Let's get to the finish line with this. Because, Luke, there's an argument to be made that Doc 5, maybe not as good as Doc 2 or 4, but it's the deepest. There's some serious self-reflection going on. Uh, it star- it co-stars Oscar Willis, Ariel Hawani, and Jake Paul. It's a great watch, believe me. Yeah, I've seen it. It's actually pretty good. I actually watched this one. It's pretty good. All right, so that's there as well. Uh, last but not least, BC, MK, well, they're brought to you by DK, DraftKings. Want to give a shout-out to the folks at DraftKings who gave away MK fans tons of money if they wanted it, free money. And you know what? The generosity 
continues, BC. So here's what we're going to do for week four with DraftKings Sportsbook. By the way, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. My Washington football team, well, they got waxed by the Buffalo Bills, but the show goes on. They take on the Falcons this week. I think that's a winnable game. And if you want to bet on that or really anything from NFL's week four, DraftKings is going to give new customers $150 instantly when they bet just $1 on any football game from week four, BC. Look, it's if you live tons in a state, of free money. If you live in a state where this is legal and you're like, well, I don't really have the money to bet, you do now, okay? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, but here's the deal. As Luke mentioned, use our code. You got to use our special promo code of combat with a K. If you do, you got $150 to play around with. Guys, we told you to bet on Robbie Lawler to because the resume review curse is real and it's undefeated. Um, you could have been $150 richer, at least, at least, okay? So uh, take the free money when it's given to you. Luke, there's a thing I do. I, I don't care how much money I make. I don't care how much I've eaten that day. You come across free food in your life, you eat that shit, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not from the dumpster or something, but yes. Free food is the be- tastes the best, Luke, just like free women, you know what I mean? Uh, I don't know about that, but I will say, to your point, also, DraftKings is giving away new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. They also have huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contest. So what you need to do right now, go download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use the promo code, as BC said, combat with a K, and you get $150 in free bets when you place just $1 on any football game from week four. That's a promo code combat this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. Okay, BC, we have a lot of work to do. You want to get this show started? In the in the amazing words, Luke, of uh is it Julian Lane? Justin Lane? Dwayne Wayne? Uh let me it, bang, bro. Okay? All right, let you bang. All right, let's go. Topic number one, if we can. So we start with UFC two sixty six. Of course I did a post fight show, but we have not heard from BC, so we're gonna get to him right away. We start with that main event. Alexander Volkanovsky retains his title by defeating Brian Ortega via unanimous decision. A 50-45, a 50-44, and a 49-46. For my card, I would have had it about 49-46. I would have given him that fifth. But okay, it was more or less the Alexander Volkanovsky show. So BC, let's start the questions like this. With this win... Is Alexander Volkanovsky going to finally get the respect he deserves? Yeah, he will. He will, Luke. Because, look, when we when the conversation is a fighter getting the respect they deserve, it doesn't always mean it's fair. In, t- in typical fashion, it's unfair. Look at, like, you know, guys like Oscar De La Hoya in Canelo Alvarez in boxing. At certain points, you're a pretty boy. Even though you're a tough guy and a great fighter, it takes a while to overcome that reputation. You could argue we already should have been here. You could argue B.C., already should have been here but Luke what's the best way to remove any lingering doubt uh I don't know get yourself in a batshit crazy war against another elite foe and fight like an absolute maniac yet to the point of your intro retain control never say die in legitimately stressful moments in which two (laughs) chokes were applied in round three that probably would have finished anybody a third submission attempt against a submission expert in round four, not only fight through that, land the better shots, show incredible amounts of chin, cardio, IQ. Luke, not only is this a there's nothing bad we can ever say about this guy again type fight, 
okay, is that is that is that extreme? No, this is that good of a win. He's in that conversation of legitimately maybe being your pound for pound best in the game. I still throw my vote to Usman. There's some people still standing on the John Jones Hill. He's you know he's in the top three. But I think Volkanovski just parachuted into that conversation if he wasn't before, Luke, because it's one thing to outsmart guys, and Volkanovski's brilliant at doing that. But, Luke, he had to get dirty in the trenches here. He didn't win this fight on calf kicks. He didn't win this fight on footwork patterns. He won this fight by being the better fighter along with being the better technician, tactician, and all of that. I've got nothing, nothing but respect for this guy. And can we pour one out for both of them, Luke, for providing what was already a fun and exciting card with big highs and big lows, a a crazy main event with one of the greatest rounds in championship history, that round three, but just full-on old-school savagery. I was humbled, I was entertained, and Volkanovski rightfully was the guy at the end with the wide scorecards in his arm raised. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I, I understood to a degree why folks were a little bit hesitant to give him perhaps his due, right? Because I don't think a lot of folks even saw the Aldo fight, and even if they did, it probably didn't make a huge impression. The Mendez fight, but that seems like a lifetime ago at this point. So you had the two Holloway fights, and we all know the story there. They were close, they were competitive, and certainly Max Holloway is adored and was in both of those fights, as I mentioned. like They were very, very competitive. This was the first time I think folks really saw like the Volkanovsky machine. The Volkanovsky machine was grinding in every way here. He was doing all the things that we knew him to be able to do, right? Giving you the looks going, you think he's going one way, he goes another. But as you mentioned, getting hurt or falling over whatever it was with that counter right hand from the kick and then nearly getting finished with those two submissions and showing a, me- a measure of grit to get through them that nobody can take away. And I think what really got... Uh, the fans on his side was not only did he get out of those submissions, which by itself was incredible, he then decides to reverse the guard, or reverse position, I should say, of Brian Ortega, then get on top and stay in his guard to go for ground and pound, which, by the way, was brutal across two different rounds. I mean, that level of just diving into the pit of Cobras and electing to... Say again? It's, killer, it's killer instinct on, on top of championship poise to get out of the submissions, but then that killer instinct to, to, to know I got a guy weak who's desperately trying to finish me and to turn the tables on him. Look, he checked every box, meaning Volkanovski in this performance. It's ridiculous. He really did. And to your point, like we saw this before, right? With like when Paul Felder just stayed in the guard of Charles Oliveira and absolutely hammered him into the mat. There are certain guys who can just get away with it, partly because they have that skill and partly because they're driven competitively in a way that is borderline psychotic. They keep it professional, but they have their will to win is unbelievable. Let me go back to one thing, BC. I want to talk about Volkanovsky getting out of those submissions because to me, here is what is so unbelievably impressive about them. If you take away, or I should say not take away, let's separate something like Tony Ferguson or even Dan Hardy getting their limb extended. So there might be getting out of limb extension submissions and then there might be getting out of choke attempt submissions because there's two different things. How was Volkanovsky able to do that? Well, one of the reasons he was able to do that is... I mean, listen, it's just biology. If those chokes are tight enough, it doesn't matter what else is going to go on. If they stay on tight enough, you will go out, right? That's just, that's just a fact of life. So what he was able to do was give himself just enough air to remain, or I should say uh, blood flow, to remain conscious uh, and then kind of almost wait out the uh, attention applied 
by Ortega. What I mean to say is he had to combine insane levels of perseverance and grit and determination with just enough technical savvy to find enough space to breathe. Dude, and he did that not twice, but twice in the same round, then a third time the next round over. That is a level of grit you may literally never see again in those contests. And Luke, you can say it's unfair that that Volkanovski has to go to that level in this type of a fight to win over the remaining people criticizing him or win over the, I guess I want to say, the, the less educated casual fan. But he had two strikes against him that the casual fans tend to take a long time to look over. It's not the same thing that, like I said, Canelo and De La Hoya had as pretty boys because you assume pretty boys can't get in there and get dirty, right? But he had his biggest win, you could argue, being a disputed one, the rematch with Holloway. And he also had the, the, the label of what Ortega called him heading in. You're a point fighter. You're a decision fighter. Mm. Casual fans hate that shit, Luke. They want violent cage fights. So... I, I think you can understand why the criticism lingered because you look at a guy, people even said this about Floyd Mayweather for a while until he really leaned into that villainous persona to sell fights, that if you're more technical and defensive-based and not damage-based, you're going to get people that, that tend to, if they if they aren't smart enough to realize how great you are, they don't want to realize it. And maybe to a small degree, Luke, that was a little bit of me. Maybe I saw that second fight, you know, again, not 49 times, but two or three and I'm like, you know, I'm sorry. Holloway beat him. I'm sorry. Okay, good effort, but Holloway beat him. So it's not maybe it's not fair that you have to go to this extreme, but everything you just laid out, like that poise under fire, the the brains. Look, the cardio was insane. You saw the damage that Ortega acquired, and that affected his cardio. And we can get into Ortega in a second. Very few have the resolve that he has. But Ortega's just hanging on for dear life. You know, Volkanovski's never... Never not in control in there. And there's something to be said for that in a championship fight when the stakes are the highest. And again, in those submission moments when when one slip, you're done. Uh, I mean, God, that's real metal. That's that's a real shit right there. So um, shout out to your boys down there at CKB, Luke. I don't know what's in the water, but maybe it's time I start, you know, start applying that to my diet. You know what I mean? Maybe that'll fix my liver. And CKB might be headed to the USA, too, which is sort of a funny whole side note about this. We'll see what happens with that. Um, either way, they're going to kick ass. I, I, I have no denying it. But uh, I, I want to point out something here. I said this on uh, – I did a post-fight show for the guys over at Submission Radio. Shouts to them. I mean, this is also, I think – at some point, BC, you get a specific fight like this where a guy like Volkanovski does specific things that just make you go, wow, okay, maybe I wasn't giving this guy the respect he deserves, and now I'm ready to do that. That part is true, too. The other part is just an accumulation here, right? I mean, think about this for just a second. Forget like the fact that the guy is undefeated in the UFC. I mean, just think about that. He made his UFC debut in November of 2016, and the guy was a champion in three years and has not lost since 2013 in only his fourth fight. That's it. That's the only fight he's ever lost. Beyond that, though, you had Jose Aldo, Max twice, and now Brian Ortega. So you're talking about two guys who might be the best to ever do it in that weight class, plus a guy in Brian Ortega who is a you know just a constant threat for anyone, no matter what day. Collectively, among the three of them, they have had 18 rounds to try and beat Volkanovski. And you can say that maybe Max deserved it, but when it came time to it, after 18 rounds, none of them could beat him. Dude, at what point... 
Do the doubters out there need to look at the visual evidence from rounds three and four and whatever else in this fight? And then the larger weight of the body of work and just realize, to your point, you are talking about someone wherever you want to put him, but you are talking about someone who's a top five pound for pound fighter in MMA. That is at a bare minimum where he comes in. He is a special guy and to beat him, you're going to have to take another special fighter and they're going to have to have the night of their lives to get past him. <laughs> Look, on that topic, I'd like to see you put your money where your mouth is just because I'm curious. I, I handle the pound-for-pound voting uh, across uh, MMA for CBSSports.com. Actually, after this show, I'll be recalibrating and, and you know reforming my top ten after this weekend. Where? Uh, just give me your top three. After this performance from Volkanovski, where do you sort of lie? I told you I had Usman one. Where do you sort of lay out the top three in order of where they should be for the men only in, in the sport of MMA right now? Here's the thing, I, and I'm, I, I will give you an answer. I'm not trying to back out. The only thing I would say is I don't do voting on these, so like I'm never going to have a very good card, which is why I always make these sort of vague um, you know, allusions to top five, top ten, because the placement I, I'm not really all that great at. I'd probably have, I'd probably have Usman one. I, I, Jones, I would not – you know, Jones' overall body of work is beyond impressive, but when I think about pound for pound, like you got to be kind of relevant out there beating people, In which he's moment, not done. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if he goes out there and just beats gone or something, well then forget about it. Right. But okay. So I'd probably put Usman in there. Obviously I would have put Habib in there, but he's gone too. Um, top yeah, three Then top, top three for Volkanovsky T- in your top eyes? three. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Probably okay. top three. Maybe Poirier behind that. Maybe, uh, well, and God crashed the party too, Luke, you know, it's just, a it's little just... bit. Yeah. I'm not, again, these, these are debatable calls, but I'm just saying like, Wherever you Adesanya want to put him, too. dude, he's yeah. in this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's probably right there. Probably, you know, Volkanovsky's right there without Asanya around, you know, between two and four, depending on your opinion. It's probably right there. And also, we didn't really get into it, but, like, I'm not saying that the fight between Max Holloway and Yair is bad, or even that Max is some kind of, you know, shoe-in to win. Yair's talented. MMA is tough. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? I tend to think that Max will win, but okay. It's not, that even, it's, a, like, it's not like I even don't want to see it. It's a great fight, BC. But, dude, look at what Max did to that division where, you know, Volkanovski beat Aldo, but fucking Max stopped him twice, okay? Look at what those guys have done to that division. And tell me any other fight besides Max and Volkanovski makes sense. I know that Volkanovski and his team kind of have Max fatigue. I understand that. But, dude, you're dealing with a, you're dealing with a peer in your division that he may not feel like there's unfinished business. I think everybody else around feels like there's unfinished business. And at a bare minimum, that's still clearly his toughest challenge. Yes. I'm not saying I hate that fight with Yair, but I would much rather see Max Volk 3. Yeah, and, and two points real quick. Uh, UFC might as, well, might as well put Max Volk 3 on the same card as Nunes Shevchenko 3. Because, you know, you're never going to find someone winning the first two fights and, and, and having a need for a trilogy again. So you might as well combine them. And then number two, I don't know if you saw, because this is somewhat related to this. Did you see Coach Mark Henry's Instagram post that alluded to the idea that maybe Zabit Magomed Sharapov is is back and can train and fight again. There was no full context to that. So, But, you know, it shows you that that there's no shortage of, uh, of top-level elite talent for Volkanovski to keep fighting. But, dude, Max is coming off the greatest performance, arguably, of his career against Cater. So I don't even think Max should have to go through Yair. I think he, he already sealed 
a third fight with. In fact, if I'm UFC, because you're allowed to play puppet master like this, I just blow up that Yair fight. I don't even need a fake COVID test. All right, let's go. Let's go, Max. Uh, let's go, Max Volkanovski. Around. Do you realize the Volkanovski beats Max a third time, and if the third one has no controversy, Luke, he's suddenly like an all-time great. He is seriously. He's he's. That's, like, that's an interesting point. You know, I mean, it's wild. If he goes in there and beats him cleanly, like in a way where people are like, you know, it was competitive, but yeah, the right guy won with Volkanovski. At that point, I don't know what you could deny him. You could deny him that maybe, you know, his style isn't the best for you or whatever, but you could not deny him his place. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the other side of this equation, though, BC, because it is worth examining. Brian Ortega did not win, but he fought his absolute heart out. So let's go to topic number two. I've got a lot of thoughts on this, but I can't wait to hear yours. Okay, it it wasn't like he didn't make it interesting, and it wasn't like he didn't make it fun. Again, round of the year, round three. Unbelievable what he was able to do there. But he lost, and BC, here's a stat for you. Brian Ortega is the only fighter, I believe, in UFC history to have two fights where he absorbed 200 significant strikes or more. It was 200-plus with Max and now 200-plus with Volkanovski. So with that in mind, where does he go from here? What would you recommend as a next career step for Brian Ortega? Well, look, I was big on, on Brian Ortega. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to deny the BDE coming off of that guy. And I don't want to say I was wrong because look how close he came, Luke, to, to doing what I predicted. I predicted he'd win by submission after losing a couple rounds. He damn near all, all, almost did that. I mean, like, like you know, you know how many others in either of those chokes in round three, how many other defending champions would have tapped, and then we have this wild conversation of, like, it's time to, to run this fight back. But it didn't happen. So I do have to adjust, you know, where I actually see Ortega at. So here's the deal. I, I was blinded by the leap he made against Korean Zombie. Not that I assumed, you know, he could have that same success against Volkanovski. No, they're far different fighters. Volkanovski's far better, in, although they're both elite. There's levels. But I thought that that fight was going to show me that Ortega's ceiling, we still don't know what it is. He still doesn't know what it is. I'm not wrong still for saying that because obviously he's got a lot to work on, but I will admit I was wrong on getting drunk on the idea that we saw such dramatic improvements. The Frankie Edgar fight, you know, the, the heart shown against Max, the, the TKZ win that I was gambling on that he could rise to an even higher level. And if he had, meaning he had completely rounded out his game planning and IQ with that toughness and finishing ability, whether on the feet or on the ground, that holy shit, he probably is the best featherweight in the world. But he's not that guy and he didn't get there. I don't know if he can. But one thing he can do, Luke, is swing dramatically. And that swing could be a swing of the fist or it could be how many times have we seen him pull a submission win out of a fight he was losing, or in this case, a fight he was badly damaged in, go for broke. He is able to swing big because he's got the guts, and with those big swings, as he just did this against probably a future all-timer in, our, in, in, in um, Volkanovski, he came pretty damn close. But even I, Luke, can't let that distract me from the idea that he's not super elite. He's elite. 
He can swing big and touch the super elites, but he's got a lot to work on in his game. I think he's still young enough at 30 that there's time, but like the conversation involving Dan Hooker, and oh, by the way, to Dan Hooker, who now wrestles, make a completely huge leap on this undercard to show you that there's still a lot of future title contention and life left. Ortega's going to have to figure some shit out, Luke. I think but obviously, he, defensively, he's got to stop being in position to take damage. I mean, it's not that I didn't expect him to lose the first two rounds potentially and then have to figure something out and figure out how to try to go for the finish, but he takes far too much damage, like in the Max fight, and in this one, Volkanovski was so smart at realizing he can get off those lead, hard right hands over the top, and Ortega just wasn't moving his head enough, and we didn't see the consistency of getting off the center line. There's a certain willingness of Ortega to, to take damage that, that's not sustainable, one, and you can't do it against the, the, great, the, 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 the super greats. You know what I mean? The title contenders, the champions, you can't do that against. So I think he's smart enough. I think his team is smart enough to go back, go back into the rankings, if you're going to get back to the title level, you're going to need two to three wins here, but really figure out how to be more efficient, take less damage, and have better setups. Luke, he's dramatic as all hell. It's like a dude who, you know, I mean, he could be great in bed, Luke, but can he balance a checkbook? You know, can he cook a meal? I got to see Ortega go back to the gym and and build on his structural foundations before, before I can continue to get... Uh, you know, fall for the BDE and realize that he's a true title contender. But Luke, you got to give him the credit. Very few are able to as boldly swing that big and come that close, uh, you know, without maybe being the same level of elite fighter as the champion to damn near almost steal the title in the way he almost did. Yeah, I mean, you can't say enough good things about his determination. I thought he won that fifth round, which was kind of amazing. Hard to say if Volkanovski was you know, letting his foot off the gas a little bit to preserve Ortega. Um, I don't know that. I, it looked that way to me, but I, I certainly don't know that. But either way, like, the amount of push he had in that fifth round was wild. And certainly in round three, to kind of snatch up those submissions was just, it's just next level. But, dude, you take damage like this, you're not going to be around for very long. It's just a reality. And, like, I appreciate how tough he is in the moment. I appreciate the guts he shows. And these are title fights, right? So, like, if you're going to push... These are the times to do yes. it. You never know in MMA, and I appreciate that he can do that. I really, really do. I mean that. But, dude, he keeps going like this, and terrible things are going to happen to him. Um, not least of which is his career will be cut very short. I mean, in three fights, two of them have been bruising, and he lost two years after the first one that's bad. Like, how long is he going to be out for this one before he's back? And I don't mean because, like, the injuries he can't recover from, just because, I mean, to give himself enough of a refreshing pause between these insane these car crashes that he's in so that he can get back out there. He has got to stop this. I thought people were asking me on the post-fight show, BC, like, oh, what's next for Ortega? Should he go to 155 and blah, blah, blah? I'm like, no, 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 no. Pause. Time out. This guy's offense is obviously quite good. Is it the best in the division? I don't know about that, but it's, it's, it's formidable at a bare minimum. The issue here is this guy's got to work on his defense. And yeah, now, no, now, fundamental well, setups, everything. Yeah, well, here's the thing. At the elite level, BC, you know this as well as I do, they're not separate things. Offense bleeds into defense. Defense bleeds into offense. I get that you can't just separate them out. It's not like jujitsu and striking in that sense. But what I am saying is a greater focus on it. Like, dude, go back in the contendership queue. Far back if you have to. Dude, take a fight that you can easily win and slowly put the pieces of your game together. Because here's the reality, BC. 
Volkanovski and Max, as long as they're there, and they are going to be there for a while, it looks like, Brian Ortega can't, the current version of him, at his absolute most, he cannot beat those guys. He cannot do it. But if you want a chance at beating them, you got to shore up all the other parts of the game where those guys are having a big advantage. Otherwise, what is the entire point? I don't think a weight yeah. class change is this problem because you're going to take those same defensive liabilities to guys who are a little bit slower but hit a lot fucking harder. No chance is that a good idea. The trick here is go back to the, to the laboratory, take your time. Remember, dude... He had the fight against Max, which he kind of got rushed into there a little bit, to be honest with you. And he had fights against Guida, where Guida was winning. Then he had the fights against um, the Brazilian kid, who's Hanato Moicano. Dude, Moicano was winning that fight up until he wasn't, right? He was be- putting the beat down on him, too. I was there in uh, the Honda Center when Brian Ortega came backstage. I remember the kind of pain he was sitting in. He, was, he verbally told us, like, ugh, I feel terrible after that. Like, he got wrecked. Dude, he's getting wrecked a lot. This has got to stop. He cannot keep doing this. Take your time. Go back to the back of the line, and let's see him work his way forward. Look, I ran cross-country in high school. I've done a lot of road races. He's very similar to that rare runner who doesn't put in the time to log the miles but has that prefontaine killer instinct in a race that he's willing to empty everything he has to try to beat you. And it's like, bro, if you just... If you go run an extra, you know, 25 miles a week, you could be a superstar. So um, we need him to make that change. Uh, by the way, Luke, I, you're, I think you're on the wrong rundown. This is this is still topic one, okay? This was originally topic two, then we changed it because that other UFC champion got arrested and stuff. But, Luke, um, Oh, yeah, you're right. Real I quick watched on that. The, My bad. Real quick on the scoring, I also um, gave five round five to Ortega, who just, you know, put it on. I Actually, I thought he kind of – he might have hurt Alex in the final 10 seconds there. I gave him round three, too, and I am curious in how you think round three should be scored. It's one of the craziest rounds of all time. Even though Volkanovski finished the round on top with strikes and hurt him, I felt that the two dramatic submissions and the takedown was enough to edge a 10-9 round to Ortega. Am I crazy? People hate my scoring, although I think they're a little bit off on that. Luke, am I crazy? That's a good question. (laughs) I... Uh, here's the thing. Who got... Uh, here, okay, here's the problem, dude. It wasn't just that Volkanovski reversed position. You know, he like kind of withstood it or whatever. Dude, he withstood it, stood up, and then put a fucking beating on Ortega to the point where I was like... I, I, I wasn't... I don't think a stoppage was like right around the corner, but it wasn't too far either. So the question you have to ask yourself is who took the fight closer to the finish? I would argue in that sense, Ortega with some of the submissions, especially the guillotine one where you saw... Of Volkanovsky thrashing to create space because he was in real trouble. At the same time, dude, it wasn't like Volkanovsky just did enough to survive and didn't put it back on him. Dude, he put it on him after I mean, that. is that a 10-10 so, round? We hate even rounds in both combat sports because it, it sucks. Is that a 10-10 round? Because I thought ten, I thought round close. four was a 10-8 round for Volkanovsky without question. So is, is round three 10-10? Is that the fairest way to do it then? Maybe. Yeah, I, I would I would want to talk to Big John or someone like that who's got a better sense about what to do in situations where there's like massive momentum swings. I did see people giving what round was it for uh, Morais? I saw them giving round one to Davalishvili for for their fight. I completely disagree with that. I thought Morais had him really close to a finish, and so for that reason, even though Marab turned the tables, there wasn't enough on the back end to match what happened on the front end. <laughs> Obviously, he turned the tables completely in the in the following round. But I just mean in that round. This one's a little tighter. 
This one's a little bit more like there wasn't quite enough of a gap in either direction. So um, it's a tough one to score. I'll say the that. The final but, point on these two, and I'm not afraid to go late in the show talking about good shit, okay? It's not like we're talking about boxing here. People get people angry at me. Um, you had wrote down in the rundown, rightfully so, you know, it's round three of the round of the year. I, I want to take it further, Luke. How high in the pantheon of all time, considering it's a championship fight, main event of a pay-per-view, and it was that crazy. And, by the way, we saw what you just mentioned, the, the Dwala Shilly uh, comeback against Marais, which was a crazy round to begin with. Is that in the same conversation with Daly, Nick Diaz, round one, um, Arlovsky versus Travis Brown, round one, round one of the Edgar Maynard rematch? I mean, do, is this a, a, a historically relevant championship round that we just saw? In terms of the highs, it's better than all of them. However, one of the issues that this round may suffer from is that I don't think that Volkanovski went down. I, again, the people might dead wrong me for this, but it was closer to the midway mark. So there was a couple of minutes of this fight where it was fine, but it was mostly you know one-way-ish kind of traffic from Volkanovski. It was after he got dropped where the round turned into an... I mean, it went from zero to 60, right? It went to immediate boil and then stayed there. So you have to weigh like in a round where things got started earlier and maybe didn't have quite the punctuated moments, but it was still great from the word go versus one that got cooking later and then just stayed at high heat. It depends on your perspective there. Okay. And you know what round doesn't make that conversation, but drama-wise, Lesnar-Carwin round one, just edgier seat drama? That shit, I was like sweaty after that. Come on, Luke. That, that wasn't was a- that. I needed a cigarette after that fight. That, I needed I mean, that a cigarette was after. Wild, yes, yes. And also, also, I would say, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, also, I would say round five of Gastelum and Adesanya. Um, yes, yes, that was a huge push. You know, I'm, and the guy's looking across the cage saying, "I'm ready to die." Like, or even round four of that, like that fight too. Often. Where Gastelum almost had that submission in round four. And yep. how about that round in Woodley Thompson one that no one talks about? Round four in that fight at 205. Great round, great rounds, great rounds, yeah, Luke. Exactly. So there's a lot of different ways to cut it. All right, so now we go to point number two. I apologize to the production crew for my uh, idiocy on this one. Point number two, let's talk about another fight. We'll get to Valentina. There's not a whole lot to say about that. There's a whole lot to say, however, about Nick Diaz. So we'll talk about him. All right, BC. He loses. He basically, uh, you know, I'm not. I don't say this to besmirch him, but he quit, which I, I think was the fine decision. If you don't want to take punishment, and you know, it, I'll, I'll tell you what I think about it in just a second. But let's start with you. Did Nick Diaz's return in the way that you saw it make you think we should see more of him or we should see less of him? I'm done. I'm done completely, and I'm not here to jab at him. I give him all the credit in the world for coming back after six years. And being that willing, and especially in the first round, but it continued on to just brawl at a high pace. I mean, that was a sick, insane pace, and it got the crowd going. What I just don't understand, Luke, beyond having respect for that, when you package in the no-mas moment, which, again, I'm not going to hold against him considering the circumstances, but I don't see how that no-mas moment doesn't play into everything we saw, and I don't see how the world is not on the same side of the street I am right now and saying, hey, we did it, it was fun. But that's not a UFC level fight that I just watched. In the in Nick Diaz is not a UFC level fighter anymore. And when you package in all the comments about not wanting to be there and Jake Shields' tweets, his teammate kind of somehow can confirming those weird comments Nick had that maybe his management team tricked him and pushed him into it, only getting him a six week camp. There's a, there seems to be a lot of behind the scenes. I guess bullshit, you know, at the end of the day. I mean, Nick's the fighter. He probably should have been more in control of this. But my whole point is this. I'm not going to disparage him quitting 
and I'm not going to disparage the dad bod, but Luke, maybe I'm just a little bit done with Triller, Holyfield, Paul Brothers over this summer where, you know, some of that was fun, but that's not elite level real fighting. Even under the guise of two old guys getting back in there and throwing hands, this was not on the level to me, Luke. I, I was kind of cringing the whole fight. You know I love old guy fights. You know I love gas station bullshit. Even when they're trading, Luke, they were grossly slow and just... I mean, no one's talking about this fact. He may have been in good shape, you know, abs-wise. Robbie's washed. Robbie's badly washed. I, I felt like I was the only guy saying that about Carlos Condent two fights ago when everyone's like, no, no, man, he puts a couple fights together. Maybe he's a dark horse title chancer. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I love me, Nick. I don't know how people responded to my tweets having concern about him with saying, man, you're a Nick hater. Nick hater? Go rewatch resume review, okay? Did we put the curse on him? Well, not us. The, you know, the, the the gods of all MMA thunder handled that one. But, um, did, did you know, did we present the Mogwais to you and say, here's what not to do? Don't feed him after midnight. Don't don't put water on him? Yes. Uh, but here's the deal, Luke. This, this was like a CM Punk fight to me. I didn't get the nostalgic feels. It was sloppy, gross, and I kind of just wanted it to end. I know that's off-brand for me, but I don't want to see him taking punishment when he's not even remotely close to a UFC fighter in my eyes right now. I don't get how people want to see it. Luke, why don't you stand up to this? Because I heard a rumor from one of our colleagues who listened to your post pod that you had some enlightenment on wanting to see Nick Diaz versus Jorge Masvidal. If you yeah. said those words and put that out in the eat those fair Luke, yeah. you, can, you can fuck off, bro. Okay? I got, <laughs> All right. I got a lot of, I got a lot of pushback for it. I will tell you in real time, I wasn't thinking much about it. And then when folks were like, you sure about that idea, Luke? And I was like, well, let me think about that a second. Yeah, that's a terrible fucking idea. I fully retract it. And, and certainly at this stage, anyway, here's what I would say about this BC. I didn't quite share I'm not quite as down on Nick as I think you and some other ones are, which isn't to say I think you're wrong. I, I just tend to think of it in these terms. Sorry, if someone calls my effing phone again and it goes to my goddamn ear. I'll, I'll put it to you like this. He looked rusty. I mean rusty in every sense of the word. He looked like getting into fight shape was a thing he was rusty at. He looked like doing media he was rusty at. Uh, doing the whole fight week dance, all the things you have to do. He looked rusty. Yeah, he looked rusty with his punches. He looked like he just hadn't done a lot of this in a really long time, and he forgot what it was like to do it. There were moments where I thought he was kind of cooking with the hand combinations, end of the first, maybe early parts of the second. We were like, okay, all right. I mean, he did have a high amount of output, right? That's sort of, from a volume standpoint, objectively true relative to his peers. I get it and with an opponent who was also long in the tooth. Fine. So I, what, I, what I would say is, if he wants to have another one, um, under, by the way, 170 pounds, not this 185 bullshit, right? No, yeah. no chance they should allow that again. And against somebody that makes sense. The reason why I was thinking about Masvidal at the time was I was like, well, if he gets down to 170 and looks a little bit better the second time, there are reasons to think it could be better than folks thought. But okay, I, 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 fine, it's a bad idea. And I, I was just, you know, it was 2, two I mean, in look, the morning. Let, what am let I, me what pause am I you and ask you this. Do you see the difference between, like, even a Clay Guida or a Diego Sanchez hanging on of late, that they're at least not that far off from being an unranked, legitimate UFC fighter on the bottom, whereas this was like, dude, this was like when Bellator, you know, seven years ago used to put on those old guy fights. 
Yeah. So here's what I would say. I don't know how to answer that. I think Diego was pretty far past it on his last few fights. But what I would say is this. Dude, UFC has a hard choice to make, which is to say the following. There was a time when Diaz was just not competing, but he was still young enough and sort of hip enough and with it, with it enough where they could have, if, if they if they could have found a way to pull him off the bleachers and get him into the, you know, the the Venom fight kit or the Reebok fight kit, where it could have made some sense. But now Nick is at a stage where the UFC is not going to be able to make effective use of him. The UFC should have a long look in the mirror. And by the way, Nick Diaz too about all the time that was lost. And if there was a no, if there was no way to make it happen on either side, then fine. There was no way to make it happen. But here's just the reality. Both sides, whoever you want to blame, spent enough time apart from each other where now Nick Diaz is at a stage in his career where the UFC is not going to be able to make very effective use out of him. We talked about Anderson Silva at the end of his reign and all these other guys who are at the end of their runs where they're clearly not going to be able to beat not only the top guys. Dude, I don't know exactly who Nick's going to be able to beat at all at this stage. And he's 38 years old. He is not getting any younger. He looked, as I said, quite rusty with it. This is not a place where UFC typically knows what to do with talent. What they know what to do is, if you are very, very good or something approximating that, they have all the space in the world for you. But what if you are past that? They don't know what to do. They don't know how. They don't have the, their structure is not built for. I'm not even impugning them. Their structure is just not built for this side of the game. Other promoters know what to do with this side of the game because that's sort of more what they specialize in. This is not the UFC's product. And so if he can turn things around with a, a dedicated camp, a 170 weight cut, some kind of an opponent that makes sense, and he can show more signs of life, that's fine. But if we're not there, I don't know what we're doing. Last point, BC, here's the other part, dude. Diaz's Nick Diaz's boxing game is quite clearly better to me than Nate Diaz's boxing game, even with all of that rust happening. I just thought he just puts combinations to better to, to, together much better. I think he stands in the pocket longer. And dude, that body work he was throwing, it looked nice. Like, there's just no, re, no doubting it. It looked good. But his overall game, the flat-footedness of it all, BC, there's no dynamism in the movement or anything. Dude, that's an outdated style of fighting. That worked 10 years ago on BJ Penn. That would not work with today's fighters uh, in any kind of, any kind of difficult sense at all. Well, I got to change. And headphones. you add in there that he doesn't want to be there. He's telling you he doesn't want to be there. It's like there's more than enough warning signs that he's going to get hurt. And the first time he did get hurt, he asked out of the fight. And again, I'm, you know, I, I was happy in that moment that it happened. But I, look, I just, um, you know, who in their right mind approved this as a five round fight? Under what remote circumstances does that make sense as a five round fight? A five round fight is a title fight. A big name main event. I don't even. I'm gonna be fair with you. I don't even like on these in between fight night cards when we have five round main events between guys who I'm not even sure can go five rounds and aren't in a title elimination picture. And we're just like, well, that's what we do. We do five round main events. Okay. Well, this wasn't a main event. It wasn't a title fight. And anybody that can't see through my words and realize this is coming out of a place of love for Nick, not a place of hatred. Like, at the end of the day, Luke, they have. Places like Triller for fights like this. But the UFC is not a Sunday rec league. So I, I can't see this anymore. I, I don't think Nick should be fighting anymore. You know, Dude, you want to go do, do jujitsu tournaments? You want to get a Triller boxing match against Oscar De La Hoya? Like, okay, what, do, do what you want. But, but you know, I, I don't think Robbie should walk away, Luke. Uh, that's, there's a hot take for you, okay? I mean, he was just taking punishment. It's just, I mean, they were they were taps. He had a little, little red blotch on his, on his head there, but... Uh, he didn't look good either, Luke. 
Well, he he at least was in Diaz's face, putting constant pressure. He was rolling with a lot of the shots. A lot of them landed. A lot of them didn't. A lot of them kind of bounced off, and he was able to kind of make it work. Um, but, you know, everyone wants to wait until a guy is absolutely decrepit. Not, not speaking of this fight specifically, just, you know, what fans want to see. They're like, oh, well, he can still fight a little bit. Dude, you're not supposed to wait until the last fucking stage before the commission has to be like, dude, fucking stop before you stop. You're supposed to do it a little bit before that. Here's the reality, man. Here's the reality. We talked about it years ago. I think when this podcast first started, BC, even on the MMA Beat Prior to this one, we said that Scott Coker had a, always had a good relationship with, the, uh, with Nick Diaz. Remember, he featured Nick Diaz in Strike Force in a way we went through it in the resume review and everything. Like, they knew how to make use of this guy. Again, I don't want to blame just UFC for this. I really don't. Nick is, I'm sure, hard to do business with or whatever the case may be. But in that last six years, dude, they wasted all the parties involved. They wasted the precious time that Nick had to be in big fights for big money against big names. Dude, I'm, I'm afraid to tell folks, I am pretty sure, at least as far as the UFC is concerned, that shit is over, and we hey, are hey, bro, not going to get it back whatsoever. You know what else they wasted? And again, it's probably half Diaz's fault, half Dana's fault. They wasted Nate Diaz's prime. Who the hell goes to two pay-per-view fights against Conor McGregor, becomes a household name, and then sits out three full years? I know Nate still has more left in the tank, and, and he, he's had some fun fights since coming back, and some elite performances, too. But imagine what Nate could have been immediately after those Connor fights. It's it's wild, Luke. It certainly is. So it's unfortunate that it's come to this, but it's we are where we are. We are where we are. Nearly forty years old and quite rusty. So we'll see All right, what happens. So All right, Luke. The, the the truth is the truth. Resume review is what is it seven and zero or eight and zero? I lost track. Is it what's the I curse think at? it's seven. I think it's seven and a, you know what's okay. funny is I actually totally forgot about I, I swear to God I wasn't even thinking about it in the moment I was just watching Nick and then of course he loses and I wasn't thinking I swear to God I, on my on my on my on my uh, I, you know my deceased mother I wasn't thinking about the curse it didn't even occur to me the whole thing and then my mentions just blew up out of no, <laughs> out of nowhere all these people being like fuck you the curse does it again eat shit hey listen guys I I wish. You don't think there's fighters out there that have done me wrong privately that I would love to stick it to with a resume review? I would fucking love to do it. But I just don't think our little uh, podcast has that kind of ability. I will say, though, BC, whether you believe in a curse or whatever you want to believe, I will say this, and I said it on a Saturday night, it is fucking hilarious that we constantly pick the loser heading into this in a way where it just, I'm not sure what it says, but it's funny just the same. Look, I've asked Even you mathematically, question. mathematically, BC, if we had flipped a coin, we would have gotten some right at this point, right? Like a monkey just sort of picking at random would have gotten yeah. a few of these. Uh, we haven't done I that. I mean, look, we we did one on a betting favorite Adesanya against Blahovich, so it's not like we're picking the washed, more washed of the two. But Luke, I asked you this before, but I want an updated answer. What number? If we're seven and zero, oh, what number do we have to get to where you'll go? It's real. Hundred no. Oh, come on. That's not even fun, Luke. That's not even like a fun game. That's just like old curmudgeon bullshit. It, it, dude, it can't, I mean, I, I, here's the thing. If people want to do this because it makes them laugh, then fine. Like, you know, uh, you can tweet me and, and, and say nasty things about me and tell me I ruined your fans, you know, return or whatever. You can, you can blow us up for it because it is funny. I, I admit it's legitimately hilarious that this happens the way that it does. I certainly understand that. But then it's like, you know, you want me to, like, indulge superstitions? I, I can't do that. Okay, but what? That I way. mean, 15 and 0. If we got to 15, you'd still be saying, 
Oh, bro. Well, you know, like you know. Yes, I don't believe in superstitions. Yes, I'm never not. I'm never going to believe in superstitions. It just doesn't happen that Sorry, way. Sorry, look. Let me get two hands on there for you. Okay. Listen, there let is no God. When you die, you just rot in the ground. Okay. I hate to give you the bear of bad news. All right. Let's go to point number three here, if we can, BC. Not a lot to say about this, but it is worth bringing up. Valentina Shevchenko does exactly what we thought she was going to do. Lauren Murphy, God bless her. You know, she came in prepared. She's never missed weight. She earned that opportunity. I'm not going to bash her, but it was not close. There were rounds where literally, in terms of significant strikes, BC, I don't know if you saw the numbers, there was two rounds where one round she scored one significant strike and another just two. Uh, I think she scored 11 significant strikes over the course of almost four rounds. I mean, she was never really in this fight. Okay, so that's not my question. My question to you is, dude, is it time to finally book Shevchenko Nunes 3? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's been time, first of all. Uh, it's absolutely time right now uh, because we're in the same spot we kind of were about two or three fights ago where – Neither one has somebody knocking on their door. Again, I thought Jessica Andrade was maybe going to be that for Shevchenko, and Shevchenko beat her as easy as she's beat anyone since Jessica I. So um, when, you, when you have these two that are still in their physical prime, and even though Valentina's older, Luke, I think Amanda is aging a little bit faster. So you don't want to wait till it's a little bit past its prime. You don't want to wait till it's, you know, Mayweather-Pacquiao, where you're like, okay, they were still... Number one and two, pound for pound, but they were 38 and 36. That's not the accurate representation of who would have won at their best. And I know this is a different situation because we've seen them fight twice before. But look, for anybody that doesn't know, along with that second fight being so close that whoever you think won, you're probably right. Let's not forget, Valentina lost that first one, a three-round fight at UFC 196. She lost it fair and square, two rounds to one. But Luke... She was a late starter, and she figured out something in round three that carried over into the second fight. So I'm not saying that's not a loss. It's a loss. But it's not like Nunes has ever had her way with her at all. So, yeah, let's do it now while there's nothing else you can do. Uh, Valentina's the best soldier they have. She, she comes in insanely ready, fixes all the holes in her game, always in shape, ambassador for the sport, never gets hurt, is willing to fight every three months, shows up, dominates, and dances in the cage afterwards. So let's reward her with the one fight that that would give her the best chance to put the capstone historically on what she's building, which right now is an all-time great resume and, and complete fighter, which she's at her prime right now. So do not pass go, Dana. Make this fight next. It, it, it is what it is. It's time, okay? And if you're Amanda, it's like, you know, who else do you have? Who else do you have that's going to pump ticket sales? I don't think I need to see Jermaine Durand me a third time. I don't think I need to see Holly Holm a second time, right? I don't think Misha Tate, for all she's doing right on her comeback, is going to be a legitimate threat for your title. Make it now, and let's let's stop this conversation. But, Luke, I, I don't want to pass too far where you said, you know, I can't really blame Lauren Murphy. I want to ask you, though, if we actually can. And I don't want to make this mm -hmm. about Lauren Murphy, but I might want to make this about Caitlin Chukagian or anyone else who gets to this point, like at least Jennifer Maya showed out to a degree. She leaned on her one strength, won a round, made it somewhat somewhat competitive. But like, I'll throw Carmouche in there. Luke, they have to realize they are extremely outgunned. So you can't come out and just say, I'm going to fight my fight. 
Your fight is not going to work unless you land one punch and, and open a cut across her forehead and, and you, you know what I mean? Unless, like, like lightning strikes. Shouldn't Lauren Murphy in hindsight, Luke, have had an almost Ortega-like want to say, the only way I'm going to win this is by finishing her, so I'm going to go out in my shield trying to finish her rather than completely lowering my output and just standing on the outside throwing one strike for every five Valentina throws. I'm not saying it's easy. She's an all-time great, Luke, but I can't watch another one of these where you're just sort of like, these opponents aren't trying hard enough to show you Valentina's greatness. I mean, I think there's a case where if you're overmatched to press the gas pedal and take more risk, I think that's sort of what you're saying. But, dude, when you're this overmatched, when you're overmatched where you're landing one significant strike in five minutes, I would actually argue the onus is on, Val- is, is on Valentina. You're talking about opponents who can't do shit to you. It's up to you, actually, to press it on that point, to be quite honest with you. Because, dude, if you're Lauren Murphy, you know, <laughs> it's, it's very easy for us, and I know that's not what you're saying, but it's very easy for us as fans to look at a situation like this and say something like, you know, you should really try harder. Dude, what the fuck is she going to do? You know, you try and go in there and mess around, you're going to get viciously KO'd, stopped even earlier. You're going to have a Kat Zingano, Ronda Rousey moment. Like, it's going to go bad. I can understand why they think if I can slow it down, I won't take too much of a beating, and I can kind of maybe find a window later and see what happens. And that's probably, you know, not really true either, but I can at least understand that. Dude, I'm not blaming Valentina either, exactly, because she doesn't want to give up her belt. But, if, dude, if your opponent is that much behind you, Nah, I don't blame the opponent. All right, I blame Valentina, for example, in the Carmouche fight. She got to a certain point where Carmouche didn't want to play ball, and Valentina's like, what am I going to do? I'll go to the finish line with you. You know, maybe that. But I'm not arguing it from an entertainment standpoint as much as I'm arguing that this is the biggest moment of your career. You've worked so hard to get to this point. Again, it's easier for keyboard warrior BC in his own damn basement to say it. I'm not taking these punches, okay? But to say... If your only chance at winning that belt is doing something dramatic, you're going to come. Come on. Right, Luke? So that you don't... What, what, what do you say? Okay, I went five rounds with, the, with, the, with one of the greatest fighters ever. Great. That's great. Is that, is that what we're playing for, Luke? Are we playing to win? You play to win the game, bro. Okay, okay. But so Lauren Murphy comes back to you after the third round. And again, we're not technicians, but... There ha- you have to have some kind of a path uh, to, to, to recommend for her. What is it? You charge her? Maybe try to take her down? Clinch charge with her, her and try and take her down? Is that it? Charge her. Cheat. Reckless attempts at takedowns. You've got to do something. <laughs> Look, seriously. Talk trash. You've got to do something to get her off her game. Uh, you know, uh, it's again, it, if anyone makes the Connor argument, okay, BC, I'd like you to do it. Like, enough with that shit, okay? We're, we're pundits here talking about what we just saw and watched. I'm just saying... For her to go home happy, she got stopped anyway by by being safe. You might as well go for it, Luke. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say. That's all. I'm, that's I'll, I'll just I'll just end on this. I think that's a fair point, especially for um, you know, like for example, Ortega was badly out of it, and then but he had that ace in the hole and found a way to get the fight all of a sudden, kind of close, right? Pushing past whatever perceived limits are there. But in the end, if the limits are here, I think it's fine to be like, hey, man, you, you had a chance there. You got to do more than that. But when the limits are here and their coaches don't even know what to say, yeah. I, you got to look, 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 look to Valentina and be like, you know, you gotta, she got it done. That fourth round, she threw that right hand over the top. That was great. 
I but, mean, and if you do, if you do it, Luke, you get Jessica eyed, right? You do, right? You do. You're fu- you're, you're you're fucked either way. The one thing I say is about the original question with Amanda Nunes. Here's one thing I want to ask UBC. We both know, I don't know what's going to happen, but we both know Amanda Nunes right now does not have an incentive to take that fight, right? We, we, we might want her to, but if you're Amanda Nunes, you're like, I've got two dubs on her. I'm not trying to get a, you know, risk a third. So we may end up with a situation where they don't actually make it. But I also think Amanda no, no, Nunes no, no, is no, no, probably no, no, a little no. bit close. Hold on, hold on. Let me just posit to you a world that might exist where they don't make it and Amanda Nunes retires without the third fight happening. However, in that same world, we hear Valentina say, I can do this till I'm 50. Well, I don't know about that, but let's say she's around for like another 10 years and just beats the shit out of people. Can she beat enough people without having beat Amanda to surpass Amanda as the GOAT of women's MMA? She would probably need a few check marks to add, meaning, let's say, set the UFC record for title defenses, set the UFC record for most wins in a title fight. That kind of stuff could could help her argument and fuel it up. Because, look, ability-wise, she's right there, okay? She fought way over ahead at 135, yet, you know, uh, submitted Juliana Pena like it was nothing, outpointed Holly Holm in an absolutely brilliant performance, may have beaten the greatest fighter of all time in their title rematch. So she's close enough, Luke, that... To your argument, yes, I think she might be able to just keep stockpiling. And obviously, you wait around long enough, the next people are going to come. I mean, if the Nunes fight isn't even on the board, Luke, the argument may still be for UFC right now that only super fights for the near future for Valentina. What does that mean? If Weili Zhang, you know, Zhang Weili wins that title against Rose in the rematch, run champion versus champion. Okay, why? Because... I think Valentina's performances deserve her to get the biggest platform and pay and opportunities possible. So when you said, well, what if Amanda doesn't have the incentive? And I shook my head right away. What I'm saying is there's no reason why UFC should not provide the incentive. Obviously, UFC is bathing in $100 bills, right? Or wiping their ass with them right now, Luke. It's yeah, not like you can rich. say, well, the promotion can't afford it. If there's somebody that you should pay to take a really hard fight... It's the person who's the greatest of all time, Amanda Nunes, who already moved up in weight and knocked out the other goat, Cyborg. So if you're going to pay her career-high money that she can make sure her beautiful daughter has a college fund, do that now for the Valentina fight. And here's Luke. Here's what else I would do to add a little spice on it. Promote the shit out of it as this. The battle for number one pound for pound. And possibly the battle for best of all time. Because if I know Cyborg's in this conversation, I'm not taking one first-round knockout loss to take her out of it against Amanda. But I'm saying this. If Valentina has this title streak and those wins at 135 and those performances against Amanda and then adds a victory over Amanda, potentially without controversy, to become a two-division champion... You can make an argument that just, a, you know, performance and ability-wise, she's the GOAT. So why not market it as that? God, good God. Dana used to come out and tell us that Henan Burrell was the pound-for-pound pound king just because nobody wanted to buy the fights because the guy didn't speak English. I think you can, you, can, you can fudge it just a little for this one, Luke, and pay everybody what it's worth to make it all happen. Please? Okay, we got the money. We got enough money right now. Maybe we could slow down construction of the new PI coming up in Zaire, Luke, or wherever new country we're putting it in, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Maybe we can slow down the global expansion and make a fight that we need to see, okay? Yeah, maybe less fighter hotels, more fights that fans want to see. It's an interesting way to put it. Um, also, 
you know, we're going to switch gears here a little bit to some other things happening. More MMA news, but you know, we're going to get to some boxing here in just a second. I want to remind folks, not remind, I guess we should tell them for the first time. But you see, we're going to launch a, uh, a Monday, I don't know if I want to call it a new podcast, but an addendum podcast where all the fights over the weekend that we never got to in the rundown because we want to save it for the biggest things, we're going to do all of that in a short podcast we're going to release later today. So if you're like, oh, what about the Curtis Blades fight? What about Dan Hooker? Good news. Podcast coming your way. Stay tuned for it later on Even the Even better news, Luke. It's hosted by you. So anybody that's like, okay, I can only take so much of BC's passion and jokes. All right, you want to hear Luke break down Bo Nichols' amateur MMA debut? Tune in later today, okay? He, he looked good. He looked good. Uh, okay. All right. Let's do this. Topic number four, BC. I mean, this is so huge. Dude, what? If you were watching this live... First of all, credit to Eddie Hearn and Matchroom Boxing. They made this look enormous, and it was enormous. And in the end, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in London, Oleksandr Usyk got it done. He wins against Anthony Joshua via unanimous decision. I think it was 117-111, 116-111, 115-113. There could be no denying it. And dude, in the 12th and final round, you had Usyk with Joshua quite literally on the ropes, getting tuned up. It was unbelievable, thrilling from start to finish. Usyk took that division, BC, by the scruff of the neck and said, this one is mine. I could not believe what I was looking at. Let me ask you, it's, there's so much to say. Let's start with your biggest takeaway from this monumental achievement in boxing. That, that not only was Alexander Usyk as great as I was trying to tell you he was, Luke, turns out he's even better. And I know that's an old school paraphrase of the great Larry Merchant line on, on Manny Pacquiao after he stopped Miguel Cotto. But it's like, turns out, Luke, he was even fucking better than we thought. And what that <laughs> means here is that, it, you know, skills pay the bills. Skills win fights in the end when guys are relatively even. But Usyk needed, Luke, toughness daring abilities. He needed all these other intangibles to give his skills a chance to win the fight. And he had them, Luke. And he had them in spades. And you know what else he had? Good fortune that the judges there, one from the UK, one from the US, one from uh, Ukraine, didn't screw him. That this fight was on the up and up. Because, Luke, if we had if it had played out like we kind of predicted it might, or Usyk had a case and then lost, or it was a draw... Anyone that watched this fight that's an MMA fan that got talked into it because of us would have been like, okay, yeah, that was cool for 45 minutes of entertainment, but your sport's fucked. No, it's not, Luke. We've got a new generational talent and star here. Dan Raphael threw it out there. He was like, hey, that might have like really cemented his Hall of Fame you know, induction. And in boxing, they actually keep a pretty stringent Hall of Fame where, you know, when Arturo Gotti got in, that was one of the first times where people were like, oh, is this Hall of Fame or Hall of, you know, what you've accomplished? But for the most part, it's what you've accomplished, Luke. Undisputed four-belt cruiserweight champion moves up and wins the unified heavyweight championship and lands the harder shots and makes the bigger adjustments and just bamboozles one of the greatest finishers and stars and fighters of this era Luke, this was a special-ass performance. This guy is a genius from a technical standpoint. But for him to come out and realize, I can, I can really shake things up early with those straight left hands. And I can con- stay in that pocket and be daring enough 
to keep up the fainting and the high activity, which is, by the way, not dissimilar to what Tyson Fury did against Wilder in that first fight. Keep an active guard to disarm my opponent, and that builds up the mental and physical fatigue, and it gave Usyk the, the landscape to operate surgically. And the fact that he never buckled because he never got hit by a fight-changing shot, and the fact that he pulled this off, Luke, this is a credit to what the heavyweight division is. One punch can change anything. Upsets can happen left or right. But skills won out on this night, and I am very excited. Okay, we're not getting Fury Joshua for all four belts this year. We may not get it next year, but I'm very excited to see how this plays out with Joshua already publicly declaring that he will invoke the mandatory contracted rematch. It could come in in late winter, early spring of next year. We've got Wilder Fury 3 in two weeks. Dillian White's got a big fight to open next year. You know, Andy Ruiz is still around. Luke, would you rather have an undisputed four-belt champion right now or would you rather have an active, unpredictable, elite heavyweight division? I think we could have both, but I'd prefer the latter. And, and I think we're going to get that right now after this type of fight and performance. Um, everything came together for Usyk on the right night. I don't think we have anything to question about his greatness beyond the conversations of, can he do that against a Fury? I don't know. Well, you know we're going to have that topic down the road if we get there. But I think the, the real topic spins to this, Luke, and if people want more on this, I did an instant uh, reaction to it uh, after the fight is what do you say about what Joshua didn't do? And what do you say about the time still left with him at 31, still in his physical prime, to try to turn this around, entering yet another big money rematch, Luke, where he needs to come back and figure out what went wrong? So for me, what was so interesting about this bout is we had thought, based on how Usyk had done at cruiserweight, and even to an extent at heavyweight with the two fights he had had, that the last six rounds, not the first six rounds, would be the most important. And for sure, the last six rounds were, I mean, all of the rounds were really important. And there were moments in the last three, I thought, 10 to 12, where it really took a bad turn um, for, for Joshua for the most part. But what was so interesting, BC, is you know what rounds really mattered the most? The fucking opening bell to round one. Dude, Usyk went from the word go. And got right in his face, and he just he boxed circles around him, literally and figuratively. Dude, this is what's interesting. Like I, I haven't seen anyone else make this comment because it's different sports, and they have different strategies, and they have different executions. There's a lot of things that are different, but what is the commonality between what Volkanovski does in his striking and what a guy like Usyk does? Again, for all of the many, 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 many differences, one of the things they do is they get their opponent to just make so many short-term decisions that they can't ever really execute, right? You're constantly worried about what they're doing. And Usyk's going in and out, and he's jabbing to the body, and he's coming over with the hook, and he's chasing you this way, and he's taking that angle this way, and he's constantly in motion, and he's constantly throwing. Dude, Joshua was in a fucking storm and couldn't tell which wave was going to crash on the boat next. It was just he was overwhelmed in that sense with all of the things, not just the feints, but the punches too, not right. just the punches, but the feints and the movement. He couldn't get a read on this guy one time. Dude, Volkanovsky, in his own kind of way, he shows up to you, and he shows you all these different things he's doing, and you think it's this, and it's not. He's got a little bit more misdirection and trickery in that sense, but um, you get the idea where you, you can never get going if you're an opponent of these guys because they just won't let you. In the case of Usyk, he did this from the word go. I could not believe what I was looking at, and well, he stayed on it. Now, give it credit to Joshua, BC. 
He kind of made some adjustments around the midpoint. Yes. I thought rounds five, six, and seven were better for him, depending on when you want to score it or not. But he did certainly did better in that way. But he couldn't hang on. And you asked what he could do differently. If you beat a guy like Joshua once, you have to do it twice. We all know the rules of boxing, so to speak, formal or informal. The rematch clause, I'm certain, will be executed here. I do think it will be interesting, BC. Tony Bellew, who knows Usyk... <laughs> And, and his boxing prowess quite well. He made a point. He's like, dude, Joshua's never going to outbox this guy. It's not possible. Yeah, the difference that's the in criticism. boxing. Okay, but here's what Joshua can do. Joshua thought if I get smaller and I get more mobile, that will work to my advantage. It didn't. I think he's going to get back to a bigger size and really try and put the lumber to a guy like Usyk, who is smaller. And I do think that will make for an interesting rematch. What about you? Well, yeah, look, I, I gave Joshua around six, eight, and 9, and, and he did make a great adjustment, not just what Roy Jones said, to take a little bit off of his punches to be able to land more in quicker succession and make the fight more on his terms, but he went hard to the body, and he did hit a couple right hands, which I think coincided with Usyk having a bit of a stamina dump because, look, the pace Usyk put on in the beginning, to your point about comparing it to Volkanovski, it was insane. I mean, it took away, all those feints took away AJ's jab. But the, the, the real point of criticism is that AJ tried to outbox, you know, the boxer, out, to play, out chest the chess master, and you can't do that. So he's got to make substantial changes entering the second one. And look, his trainer, Rob McCracken, was, was highly under fighter fire when he lost to Andy Ruiz, where it's like, okay, you've had this guy forever do you need a major change? And, and he stuck by his man, Luke. Again, I'm not saying they need to fire him, but they need a major change. You almost, I mean, you can't bring in Emmanuel Stewart, right? He's gone, the, hall, the, the late Hall of Famer. But Stewart turned Lennox Lewis and, you know, a punchy Vladimir Klitschko around by teaching them the legitimate big man style, not just standing up strong and using your size and reach and living and dying behind your jab. But, Luke, you know this in heavyweight boxing. By being physical and establishing your size, AJ never fought like the bigger man. He, tra- he, was, he was content to fall into the counterpuncher role, but because Usyk's guard was so active and because those left hands stung AJ enough, he got wobbled in round three where he's like, yo, I could get knocked out if I keep this up. AJ became the counterpuncher, but, Luke, he never became the bigger man. What does the bigger man do? He throws that weight in size advantage and lays all over you. Luke, why did we hate the second half of the Vladimir Klitschko era? Because you didn't want to get hit by any punches. He got knocked out three times early in his run. That he, Once he landed a stiff jab, he'd lay on you and force the clinch. He was always using his size and forearms and everything he could to remind you that you were in there against the bigger man. Obviously, the referee's jurisdiction on that can play a big part. But AJ, who doesn't have an inside fighting game outside of maybe that uppercut he hit on Pulev, um, Luke, the, you know, look, he's bewildered from the start, so maybe maybe he was in survival mode earlier than we thought. But for as much as he made adjustments to the boxing side, bro, you're not the boxer in this matchup. And you can look around this heavyweight division. I said this in the Instant Reaction Show, Luke. There's two people that can do this to you. Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk. Everybody else... AJ's athleticism is enough to outbox and eventually knock them out because he's such a great puncher. But when you're facing the true craftsman of this era, you can't outcraft them, bro. You got to go out there and knock this guy the hell out. And I still do think there's questions, legit questions, of whether Usyk can take an elite heavy, elite knockout artist's best punch over consecutive rounds 
and still be able to get off the offense he can. Luke, I think we saw a brief window of that in those rounds that we did score for Joshua where Usyk's output went down and he was starting to be much more defensive and shifty in the other direction rather than shifty coming at you, which, you know, confuses you and, and makes you use up a lot of nervous energy. Luke, do you think he needs to change trainers or do you think there's a way they can look at this tape? You know, old dog, new tricks, all those type of euphemisms and, and stuff. Can you teach? Can he be taught? Can we bring Lennox Lewis in here and teach the real big man style? Because he's going to need it, brother. I got to say, I almost wish this fight had happened before the, I keep calling him Andy Reid, <laughs> before the Andy <laughs> before the Andy Ruiz fights. Um, because I think the Andy, I mean, here's the thing. Like, remember the Klitschko fight? Like, who had a better Klitschko fight? Tyson Fury or Anthony Joshua? Well, Tyson Fury was, was more one-sided, I guess you could argue, but the better fight, like, you know, getting off the canvas and everything else. I mean, that, that fight with, with Joshua was thrilling. It was super thrilling, right? So, but he wasn't afraid to fight in that way. I think, the, I think the, again, I keep saying Reed, the Ruiz fight kind of spooked him a little bit about what it would mean to lose and how you could and what, all the things that could go wrong in a fight. Not that he's like afraid of taking punches, but afraid of what the consequences would be if that kind of thing happened. And um, I, I don't know if he needs to change trainers. I obviously think being bigger. Dude, you got, I said it on the, on the, on the Friday show, and it, I think uh, since then others have used the fight to make a more um, uh, pronounced case for it. Dude, he needs to get in there and like pump that jab in a way that could really sting a guy like uh, Usyk. If Usyk can get there cooking and doing his, you know, his dancing kind of thing, there's just not a whole lot to do beyond that. Tony I mean, Bill, he couldn't you land him the jab. But look, not only could he not land the jab, but he was getting countered with, I think he thought Usyk, here's the deal. I told you this before. I called well, that usyk you fight on own. A week yeah. later, I went to New York City to interview Canelo and Eddie Hearn was there because um, uh, Canelo was fighting when Eddie Hearn's guy was it Rocky Fielding or some shit. I'm, I forgot the timeline of events. But I said to, I said to Eddie's face, Eddie, love you. Usyk's going to be Joshua, though. And they're like, no, 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 he's too small, bro. He's too small. I, I don't think AJ thought Usyk could knock him out, Luke. I really didn't. So we, we want to say, hey, big man, use your jab. I think his plan was to use that jab. But once he started getting pieced up with those left hands, it was like... I'm gonna get. I'm gonna drop. Right. I'm gonna get. But it goes back. It goes back again. Different sport, but same same night. It goes back to the Cynthia uh, Jessica Andrade fight, where like, dude, you can land on him, but you got to put something on him that makes them back up. You got to get them off of you. Now, in the case of Andrade, we'll talk about her on the later. But like, the idea would be that she's just so tough. Usyk is the smaller guy. I do believe it's like it's like the Tyson Fury fight where he was kind of dancing around Wilder the first time, and then the second time he just went and took it to him. There's got. I mean, I'm not saying that I think Josh was on the same technical acumen ability as a guy like Tyson Fury, but there has to be some kind of a way to make this more competitive, especially like you know this was in England. Like you you should have gotten some hometown cooking, and they just couldn't give it to him. And there's just no yeah. way he's got to be they physical. He's got to use his forearms. He's got to basically. Be grimy. I mean, I'd love I, him and Lennox Lewis have had a weird sort of not brotherly mentorship. Uh, if they could get good and you can get Lennox in there and you can really start to figure out how to use that size to your advantage. Look, that's the problem with this overall era where these heavyweights aren't actual boxers. They're either bruisers or they're athletes turned into heavyweights. And when you get an actual guy once in a while, like an Usyk and Fury, who can actually do this at the super elite technical level, you're going to have problems if you're Joshua. So, Luke, uh, what we did learn, 
Was that Fury would have fucked Joshua up and knocked him the hell out, bro? <laughs> oh yeah, he would have. So, dude, take, I, people got bitter at me when I said it. I'm like, no, sorry, take dude. That, you don't back, think, yeah. yeah, dude. If you don't think that Tyson Fury would go in there and fucking dummy Joshua at this point, I don't know what you're looking at. He's a terrible matchup for him. Now, Joshua and Wilder, bit of a different scenario, right? Because you got the vulnerability on both sides. Wilder's not nearly the boxer. Joshua, any anyone really up against that power is going to have some difficulty. But that one seems to me like a that, that's a well made fight, but. Tyson Fury, fuck that, dude. He's working him like a summer job, no doubt about it. So, um, thrilling if you didn't see it. And BC's uh, recap of it is an ode to boxing, if not just the fight itself. Uh, I highly recommend checking Would it out. Would you say I All was right. rock hard with emotion while delivering that, Luke? <laughs> you certainly rock hard. Whatever was emotion I want to relive, I don't know. All right, last but not least, BC, we, let's just get to this now if we can. Um, Topic number five. I don't bring this up for fun. It's not fun. Everything, everything about it actually sucks. Um, but John Jones was arrested again just hours, quite literally, just hours after being inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame for his bout with Alexander Gustafson. BC, I don't want to editorialize any more than we already have about this situation, or I should say John Jones's ongoing situations. What is there left to say about this? I got what a few reaction do you have? I got a few things to say beyond it's a sad, it's a pattern, it's, it's whatever. Obviously, everyone said it best. You know, the fact that this was the same night of the Hall of Fame, that this is his career in a microcosm. Luke, we've said this before. We'll say it again. He's the sport's greatest fighter of all time. He's the sport's biggest cautionary tale of what if. And anyone that's like, what if? He's the go. It's, well, what, what could he have? I mean, how far could that goat, you know, argument be right now if he was, if he had, didn't have these type of hiccups? I also want to say, and I made this argument with Diego Sanchez, he didn't get inducted to the Hall of Fame. His fight did. I know that you didn't necessarily say that, but everybody was sort of like, you know, <laughs> okay, get inducted to the whatever. Hall of Fame, get a re- It's his fight, bro. He's not a Hall of Famer yet, okay? Obviously, he's a slam dunk Hall of Famer when it happens, but can we, can we have some a- actual standards here? Stick to the point. UFC needs to cut him. Wow. And I, oh, oh, that's crazy, BC. Is it crazy? Because I feel like we had this same exact topic and argument in 2020 when Jones got pulled over in Albuquerque when we thought he was doing good, right? And fired a firearm, DUI, was talking to homeless people, was just, you know, drugs in the car, just a sketchy situation. Luke, I had to write that newser for CBS Sports. I know you did the, the IA sort of news reaction to it. Uh, do you agree with me when you went up and down the list of the amount of infractions from drug tests to the hit and run in 2015? I forgot about the 2012 when he crashed his car drunkenly into a tree. Like you forget that the time with the waitress that got thrown out of court, you forget all of these infractions, not before he was famous in the midst of his championship reign. Luke, here's the deal. His absence during this whole heavyweight reinvention slash public fight for money does it coincide with the ufc's greatest financial period ever yes but what that shows you is they don't actually need him the problem is they're not going to discipline him at all because that's what the ufc does they don't do that they leave it in the hands of the law conor mcgregor throwing the thing through the window and getting glass in ray borg's eye and scaring the crap out of Joanna and all of his other co-workers in there Good God. Look, he didn't get a slap on the damn wrist from the UFC. He got rewarded with the biggest pay-per-view fight of all time. I don't care what Dana says about how much the legal fees cost for Connor. Not applicable here, okay? If they want to be responsible 
for caring about John Jones the person, they need to cut and fire him right now and not worry about what's left in the tank for potential pay-per-view buys, either as an A-list future heavyweight champion or even just as a B-side to sell his name to up-and-coming fighters. It's not about that. It shouldn't be about that. And I'll add in there again that because the promotion is not hurting for money or pay-per-view buys, there is nothing left to do but to fire him to try to be some form of lasting message that there's a penalty for this. Luke, I don't know exactly how the justice system works. I know that if this was John Jones, the the McDonald's uh, janitor, you know what I'm saying? He'd already be in jail for this many infractions in a short period. I'm not saying John Jones needs to go to jail, although you can argue maybe he does for a long time to to really see the 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 full spectrum of his actions here. But do you know what's not going to fix him? Dana coming out to the media and saying, I told you guys, Las Vegas and John Jones doesn't mix. Dana, what is that saying? We can't trust him in Las Vegas? Okay, cool. You're just going to enable him again by giving him a pay-per-view fight. And nothing's going to get fixed here because John's got a problem. And he and those who handle and surround him do not have the power to fix it. But if you're UFC at some level with the Disney backing and the corporate sponsorships and all this ridiculous money that's coming in, what would the NFL do, Luke? They'd cut him. Right? A team would cut him and then another team would pick him up. But yes. You know, at some point, how much more do you want the disgrace of these things happening to your brand and how much more do you want to keep seeing this redemption fake story and just another infraction? Luke, they don't actually need him. So the best thing they can do to help him is send him back out there. And he'll have to look in the mirror and say, okay, I'm still John Jones. Oh, maybe I can make a payday here or here. But if I'm not fighting in the UFC for the heavyweight championship, who am I? I, 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 I don't know. I mean... I don't know what the right answer is for what the UFC should do or what anyone yeah, else should do. Yeah, but argue against that. Try to argue well, against that, Luke. He, he, here's what I would say, though. The, the If you're saying something like, oh, well, we can't bring John to Las Vegas without getting in trouble, it's like, dude, Las Vegas ain't the problem. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you can't go to Vegas without getting arrested, Vegas is not the problem. The problem is is you or whatever it is. And I don't bring this up to be like, Dude, I mean, let's think about this. He got arrested a year ago during the middle of the pandemic for we saw the video from the dash cam or not the dash cam. I should say the, the chest cam of the of the attending officer where, you know, there was issues with drinking in the car and potentially firing off gunshots. And he pled guilty to most of this, but they reduced it. There was covid issues because of overcrowded jails or whatever or staff. They just couldn't handle it. So they let him walk. And here he is about a year, 18 months later, and he's getting arrested again, dude. If you're getting arrested like this, and we don't know a whole lot, again, innocent until proven guilty, but you pled guilty to the last ones. We saw all the other issues you've had. Dude, if you're getting in trouble this much, you've got serious problems in your life. And I don't want to get up on here and be like, I've got life figured out. My life is so grand. My life is not grand. I've got all kinds of problems, and most of those are overwhelmingly my fault. I'm not some person who has life figured out, but I'm not getting arrested in the fucking street in my 30s, man, what are you doing? This is this is a serious problem, whether it's substance abuse or risk management or a combination of the two. I'm not even saying this to score points. I'm saying this because the guy fucking needs help. 
well, needs look, help. And if he and if he BC, hold on. If he doesn't get it, you, this is not the end of the problems. They will continue. Either you will solve the problems, or the problems will solve themselves one way or another. This is bad. And I also want to say, like, I've never really addressed it before, like the comments where he, you know, he slam dunked on me at the pre-fight presser. But let's sort of go back and revisit that for a second because it turns out part of what happened was unflattering comments I made around UFC 200. Some of those have been shown to me. And yeah, they were not especially nice. But dude, reflect on this now. What is it? Three, four years later since that has happened. Think about all the shit that has happened in the cage and out of it collectively all since that second fucking redemption story was sold to us. I'm the asshole for saying that. I was dead right then and I'm dead right now. There was nothing I said that you could go back and look at and be like, wow, he was really, he was way too harsh. He was way off on that. No one owes me anything. I'm not owed an interview. I'm not owed anything. They don't have to answer questions. That part is fine. But it's probably time to reflect on the fact that like people who said John Jones really fucked up around UFC 200 and that this is a, you know, this is unconscionable that it keeps happening. Now, four years later, they've only, they have only been vindicated, only been vindicated. Well, look, but the a... most important story here is, BC, dude, if we're still singing this fucking tune four years later, dude, the guy needs help. He and needs, I'm not he somebody that help. looks past both mental illness and the disease of addiction and says, you know, just get it together. No, he's got legitimate issues. But, you know, bringing him back just to cash out his name does nothing for anyone. And we all thought, you know, would it, the public embarrassment of multiple arrests would be his rock bottom. It's not. I don't know if jail is, Luke. It might be. But I think cutting him, I think firing him is another step toward that rock bottom. So we got enough money in the vault here. I think we can afford this. Let's do the right thing. Luke, forget the McDonald's comparison or even Joe and accounting at your company. If this was name any fighter outside the top 10, look, they don't have a job in the UFC anymore, right? True. Probably not. No. Yeah. They so, may not even be in MMA. So uh, Right. So, like, what What do you need? Do we need John Jones to kill somebody in a DUI? Do we need him to, to – I mean, what do, you, what do we need, Luke? What's the line? I think we're past that already. If we care about him as a person, then fighting shouldn't even be remotely in this topic. By the way, you can always, like, re-sign him down the road if he turns things around, Luke. But for now, he's not, he's not fit to be a UFC fighter. Make a public yeah, I statement mean, about this. Take here's the thing, though. Him. Like he he would hold a grudge where if they cut him, you know, unless it was utterly impossible to make money without them, you know, he would never go back. I'm just saying that. Right? Don't you think that if they cut him, he would take it as like some kind of a front? You know? No. Look. Okay. What if he went out and and got took a couple fights elsewhere and and rejuvenate himself? He'd want to come back eventually. And if he cleaned up his life, Luke. Why not? But yeah, again, it I'm just saying, be if, about, he, if he we're if he past if he were to get where that's the the where that's part of the decision making. That's what so I'm hold saying. On. Let me ask you this: Is your reason for cutting him to send a message, or is your argument for cutting him this will continue, and when it does, you're going to have a guy on your roster who will have done something heinous, and all this time you did nothing about it? Is that the argument? I think it's both of those. And I think it's mixed with the other argument of what's fair, you know, star treatment versus like how many more times do we need to see this? Like it's all together in the same argument, Luke, because, you know, in the past it would be like, okay, a couple infractions. Well, look at boxing. These guys, you know, this shit happens all the time. And look, let's be honest. Trevante Tank Davis has had some stuff happening too. Like, but, but like 
UFC is in a different place than the disorganized nature of boxing promoters and where we're at. I mean, they're they're trying to go full on real across the board mainstream. So to to your point, that's something I wasn't necessarily stressing on, but let's be honest about it. If something really bad does happen to somebody else and it's a public, really bad public scandal, do you, you want your UFC brand attached to that? No. So at, at what point do you make like the responsible adult decision here? I don't know. I guess we're going to find out. All right. With that, BC, it is no longer time for you and us to ask ourselves questions. It's time for the audience to ask us. It's time for DMs from dogs. As you guys know, we put up a thread on Instagram every Sunday, and uh, we uh, let you guys ask questions. All right, so let's go to the – let me pull this up here, my notes. Uh, All right, first up is from Kev J. Math. (laughs) I guess the elephant in the room, almost quite literally. Are we going to talk about Ortega's package? <laughs> well, <laughs> I did. I did mention the the BDE was undeniable. Luke, I know there's sizes to cups, right? Yeah. I mean, there's and like there's the, shapes. There's shapes as well too. Like they're not all identically shaped. Like I played roller hockey in my 20s, and I was wearing like the little league cup that I had, and it wasn't working out well. So I know there's sizes to cups, Luke. He must buy the biggest one possible. Now, is there is there a need or a reason behind that? Does his celebrity list of clientele over the years tell you there might be, Luke? Hey, that'd be a great problem to have, but that cup is freaking enormous, Luke. It's a huge cup. It's a, I mean, you, it's like he's got the Stanley Cup in there, you know, of, of cups. I don't know why, but he, he, I will say this, it's a bit of a weapon. Like, if you can get arm bars across it, it acts as a fulcrum, and you can fucking tear people up with it, but... Um. Yeah, he's got a giant ass cup. I'll leave it. I at mean, that. if you put right. somebody in a triangle, could you use that cup against their face as a weapon, like you're saying, Luke? Yeah, you could. I don't know if it would. It, it doesn't really meaningfully address the triangle because the triangle works. One leg is on one side of the carotid, and then their own arm is on the other. So I should say this leg on this side. So yeah, that's but you could just the pull their mechanism. nose into your crotch and just smash their face with it, Luke. Yes, you could do that. You could do that. Um. All right. From awkward, at. It's super awkward. From at underscore Zaterain. Zaterain. How much do we need to donate for a resume review on Colby Covington? <laughs> so after the John Jones news, Colby took to Twitter and, you know, was unkind, as you can well imagine. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure what to say about this. What do you think? Um, well, Luke, let, let's use this as let's spin this as a positive. The re- Mikey, our Mikey Mormal producer says the resume review is seven and zero with six finishes, which is pretty damn impressive. Wow. Um, I don't want to take up money and have everybody tell us you should do the next one on someone we hate. But how, does this because it's seven and zero now? Does that change the selection process at all? I mean, like, are we still looking at look big fight? Who's a fighter that has a decent sized career that would be entertaining to break down? We're still looking at it at that, right, Luke? Colby's not that yes. guy yet. Yes. Um, but, but, but if we did Usman ahead of the Colby rematch, that would really be putting that resume review to the test. But see, that's a tough fight. Like our producers are saying, what we got to do is we got to find like a Valentina squash match. Can you imagine if we did one of Valentina and she fucking lost people would come to us with pitchforks. Imagine if she like, but it was like a shattered leg where she didn't actually get beaten, but like, you know, TKO injury loss. (laughs) She just suffered like a horribly traumatic injury. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be bad. Uh, all right. From Riggins32, 
with City Kickboxing relocating to the U.S., everyone says they're relocating, and like Adesanya was like, I'm relocating, and then like other people are like, we might do it, so I'm not sure how that's going to work. Do you think you'll see many American-based fighters going to train there? Fuck yeah. Yeah, And which yeah. top fighters do you think would benefit most from their type of coaching? Anyone who is not... Any, anybody could benefit from their coaching, BC. If, I, if I'm Kevin Lee's tattoo artist, Luke, I tell him, head right there, please. No? <laughs> what would he benefit from that he doesn't get at Extreme Couture? I don't think Extreme Couture is his problem. Well, I think that, look, some guy, you know, is it is game planning X's and O's his issue or is it making big mistakes and having cardio dumps and big moments? I don't know. But this would be a major new player to the scene in terms of super teams where an established fighter who's had a, a down period can go and potentially recharge himself. It's, it's again, it's in boxing, it's the equivalent to when. Freddie Roach became world famous and boxers were leaving their trainers to go see if he can turn their offense around. Um, it would be very interesting to see, Luke, if, if, if a mid-level, talented but flawed fighter could go there and learn their, their systems, the way that they look at game planning, the striking, and, and setting things up. And if, um, if somebody like a Kevin Lee, who seems to have the physical tools, could just have that little seasoning on the, uh, on the stake, Luke. Could be interesting. Yeah, but how, how many times have you seen him go back to his corner and his corner's like, we need you to do X next round, and then he just doesn't do X at all. Like, I don't know that's a cornering issue or, a, 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 you know, you got to listen to your corner, man. I mean, they can't make you do that. I, I don't know what to say about that. Um, but the answer is, if they relocate to the U.S., dude, they're, they're, people are going to be beating down their door to train with them. Come on now. Uh, all right. From Alto Reto 1. What are your opinions on Valentina equating ring girls to decorations? Did you see this, BC? Yeah. So is the, is this officially in response to Habib's comments that that ring girls are like a outdated, sexist thing? So I believe so from the post fight presser comments that she made on Saturday. So this was yeah. it. So Valentina went full bore in support of ring girls, but the, I don't know if it's the English translation. The way in which she articulated it, Luke. It made it seem like she was like pro. Let's put women up pro there to objectification. Focus on their yeah, yeah, yeah. It was weird. That's an interesting hill to try to die on. I mean, what what Valentina's trying to say is that women in this role have been there for a long time and they play a key role. So let's not trash them because I'm a woman too and I support women. And if it was delivered like that, I'd be like, yeah. But it almost sounds like she's accidentally saying, yeah, this is what we've done forever objectified women's bodies. Let's keep doing it, right? Yeah, I, I would say that, like, first of all, remember, she spent nearly a decade in Latin America. Getting used to women being objectified is, like, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but that is just how life is down there at the present moment, and it's everywhere, everywhere. It is deeply embedded across multiple nations there, the objectification of women. So, like, partly you just kind of get used to it. Also, even here, like... You know, dude, how many times have you been to, like, you know, I had a friend, by the way, who was a manager for, like, a not a big famous club at NYC, but a decent one, right? Like, a pretty good one. And he was telling me, like, they make sure they hire, in terms of women, the best-looking ones they can because it just creates for a better atmosphere. Whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing, and in many cases it can be something that, you know, you can, you can rightly criticize, um, you know, it's partly the way the world works to a degree, uh, whether that's fair or not. The thing I would say, though, I always find this like a weird defense of like of ring girls. It's like, dude, like clearly you don't need them, 
right? Like you don't. Let's just be honest about it. Like in terms of the service of, you know, wrapping around, like it's the third round, like you don't need that in any capacity whatsoever. So the way in which that they justify their existence is that one, it's a longstanding practice. Two, people seem to like them on an individual level. And then three, this was the big one, they become brand ambassadors. That, that's sort of partly of the whole thing here is that we do media tours and we greet fans and like we're all part of the UFC family, which fine, if that's the way they want to do business, I don't have an issue with it. But just being like, oh, people like pretty women. It's like, well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like even the ring girls are telling you that's not really the full totality of the ring girl experience. So it's, um, it's a very interesting way of justifying it. I'll yeah. put it that way. And, and look, the, the counter to that, of course, is like, well, what about NFL cheerleaders with low cut and dancing or, or the course. dancers at the NBA games and on timeouts, Luke? It's, it's kind of all related in that regard, right? So it's either all or nothing Dude, on that. The one thing that Valentina said is something that people should just wrap their heads around a little bit. And again, I'm not, you know, 42-year-old white guy says, get over it. Uh, that's not what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Well, what I am trying to say is, like, I've lived long enough, you've lived long enough to know, dude, who likes pretty women? Everybody. Everybody likes them. Everybody likes them everywhere you go. That's just a, that's just a fact of, that's been a fact of my life as long as I've lived it. Now, what you're supposed to do about that? Hey, we can have a great debate. But, um, you know, I understand why that kind of thing is in demand. And I understand why people want to be next to it. And I understand that... Uh, it's a thing that people like. So I don't think that should be the sum total of someone's existence, obviously. That would be terrible. But, you know, pretty women are visible for a reason because people thrust them to the front of everything they do. All right. Thrust uh, from the, the last word. Yes, yes Luke. Got yeah, it. thrust, of course. At bedside rumble. That's like me when I have to fart in the bed and I just kind of lean out the side. Uh, is it true? <laughs> Is it true that VC smells like cabbage and bologna? No, it's not cabbage and bologna. It's fentanyl and bologna, yeah. and it's only that drug rug. Yeah, how about that drug rug? By the way, a lot of people saying, hey, if you put an MK logo on that, I'd scoop that shit up. Okay, Luke? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Luke, would you wear an MK drug rug, yes or no? Um, to, like, the grocery store? Yes. No. Well, to answer your question, BC smells like, um, you know, probably like Old Spice deodorant and uh, like, like a, like a, like a, not real BO, but like a quarter amount coffee breath mixed with like just a little BO, right? That's probably like how, how many times. Here's the real question: When you were at your dirtbag worst, oh god, how many times did you Febreze your way through things you should not have Febrezed your way through? Yeah, look, I remember uh, one time a, a, a girlfriend was like, um, made a mention of like washing the sheets of their bed every week. I was like, every week? How about twice a year on this end? That's when you know you're like a 22 year old dirtbag living in a dirtbag apartment. When you're like, oh, twice a year is not the rel like the recommended uh, recommended amount. Okay, all right, got it. Yeah, there I mean, was look, a girl back I then, knew. You would only change your. You'd only wash your sheets if like some if like. There was like a blood stain or you spilled like bong water on it, right? I mean, that's basically, that's, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Okay. I'll just say this. I, I knew a girl in uh, college and uh, this is just the most filthy thing ever. Um, she would wash her sheets once a semester. Once a semester. Oh, God, Luke. Can you, wow. ima can you imagine just the butt grease and <laughs> everything else that just stained those sheets to the worst degree imaginable? 
It'd be pretty bad. All right. Look, do you with wait? That, wait, hold but, on, hold on, real quick, grease. real quick, real quick. Do you do you employ the twenty four hour rule on a pair of underwear as long as you haven't uh, as long as you haven't worked out or overly sweat, Luke? Oh, 24 hour, more like 72, bitch. I'm oh, fucking, God. I'm just cruising. I'm cruising in those pampers. I'm like my daughter. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I can show the fabric tears. They're they're still good. Yeah, okay. Uh, all right, with that in mind, VC, it's time to watch Elder Abuse. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, speaking of that shit, let's transition to the highs and lows, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the in-between, Luke, in combat sports and beyond. We call this, have you seen this shit? Oh... An award-winning segment, Luke. We start out UFC 266 from Las Vegas. Luke, did you see on this undercard welterweight Matt Semmelsberger needing just one punch to send Martin Sano Jr. to the deep, dark ones, Luke? Look at this. Semmelsberger is from uh, this neck of the woods. He's from Rockville, which is not far outside D.C. at all. Oh, whoa, look at the backflip. You like that? Yeah, yeah, dude can punch his... He can, he can, he can thump, man. By the way... I'm not, like, bagging on the UFC for making this. I don't know exactly the terms of how this fight came around, but, like, after the fact, this other guy was out for, like, four years. This was a mismatch. They yeah, should not have put this together. It looked a lot like Lawler-Diaz, too. Gotcha on that one. All right, Luke, let's see the celebration from the champion, Alexander Volkanovsky doing it Aussie-style with the shoey. But, Luke, he's doing it out of a slide, like a flip-flop, basically. Is that manly? Did he get it right? Well, that wasn't the only... Here's the thing. If that was the only one he did, it would not have been manly. But he did it also with a shoe at the podium, so I'll give him credit and say this was okay. just a bonus shoey. Tui, let's bang, right? Yeah. Tui, yeah, let's bang, bang with you, shit. Tui. What do you think that guy, Jaime, or Jamie, whatever his name is, the guy that we drank out of his shoe, where do you think those shoes are today? Because if he still has them... I would be willing to buy them and autograph them and put them on our new studio that, that we're designing for Jersey City, Luke. What do, what do coroners do with the clothes that show up on dead bodies? <laughs> they wear them home, obviously, Luke. Come on, yeah. There you go. That's, that's where the shoes are. They're like, is that a large? I could fit into that one. Yeah. <laughs> this, this shirt's so nice, somebody was dying to wear it. Yeah, all right. Let's keep it going. <laughs> Let's check out this celebration. Aunt, Sister Antonina, Luke, posting Team Shevchenko with Brandon Moreno present. But, Luke, I'm not looking at the sisters here. Check out the guy in the purple cravat shirt. Luke, this guy listens to Jethro Tull and probably drinks some really old whiskey and does lines. If I'm hanging out with one guy in Team Shevchenko, it's, it's this guy over here on the right. You? Yeah, this is a this is a smoke on the water. This is what happens when Grimace from McDonald's gets a haircut. <laughs> that guy, Luke. That I'm, I, I love that guy. But shout out to Brandon Moreno joining this team, Luke. But wait, look great. at Valentina's coach, Pavel Fedotov, or whatever his name. He's just looking like you know. Hey, sir, your uh, your your order will be ready in 15 minutes here at the uh, drive-through. I mean, he couldn't be less plus if his Luke, you, life you, depended on it. You think your coach would take a bullet for you? Okay, no. All right, this guy would. This guy would. All right. Quite literally. He, he proved it. Okay. Speaking of Shevchenko, Luke, you know what we're here to see. The celebratory dance. Luke, I love that first. She kind of just stood over Lauren Murphy like, yeah. look at me. I'm a badass. Are you noticing? And, of course, we get the dance right after. Are you noticing that she's starting to kind of carry a little bit more swagger these days? 100%, 100%. It's beginning to dawn on her if it, you know, in a big way that, like, you know, she can't coast her way to victory, but if she trains like she has been, 
she's going to be wearing that belt for a long time. Fame hasn't gone to her head in like a, I, I hate to say it, like a Ioana way. And, and maybe that's the key to her, you know, long-term success here. But uh, as long as she doesn't change this dance, Luke, this is, this. I mean, this and Tito Ortiz, you know, doing the grave thing are, are, are the two iconic dances of our era, of our lifetimes, right? Am I missing Is anyone? what Ortiz does a dance or more just a routine? Yeah, yeah. Got it. Okay, Luke, uh, let's keep it going. Speaking of celebratory dances, there's Valentina. What do you think of Marab Dwalashili, Luke, with Coach Matt Sarah here in the locker room? Check this shit out. Bro, I got to tell you, these guys who Chuck Mendenhall was talking about, these donks with the furry hats that they wear after the fact. Yeah. Because he, he doesn't have one here. He's got, like, you know, he, give, he delivers newspapers in He's got Chuck's hat on, hat, basically. But, He's got a myth yeah. hat on yeah, but when he had the normal one on from from Georgia, bro, those guys are the toughest motherfuckers around. Oh yeah, this yeah. dude is another level of fucking determined. Straight from the Schmesh factory to your living room, what a victory! I'm sure you're gonna have more on that in your post fight, post show, post, post. All right, Luke, post, let's post. keep it going. Luke, I know all Canadians don't look alike. That'd be a stereotype. But why is GSP dressing like Aaron Bronstetter these days, dude? What's going on here? Yeah, I don't know. I also don't love the haircut, candidly. I mean, my hair is just, you know, falling out like it's on fire at this point. But so I can't critique. But I don't really, I don't love I don't love the little wave curl at the front. I yeah. gotta say. G GSP, can you turn back into a badass, please? Thank you very much. All right, Luke. Uh, there was so much real recognizing real this weekend in the fight game that I had to put together a, a super post. Check out Teofimo Jr. and Jorge Masvidal at UFC two sixty six. Your thoughts. Hey, two, two Latin gangsters, if there ever was any. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, speaking of GSP, there was a little reel-on-reel -reel action in the locker room when, when former opponent Nick Diaz came up and a little bit of respect between the two. Cautious respect, though, Luke. No, it was respect there. Look, he, GSP gave him the wink, and he gave him the two-handed shake. You know what I mean? Okay, okay. And I never know exactly what that means, but I feel that like means... for GSP, it's like ultimate respect. No, I no, okay, you could read it as that. I read it as GSP saying... You're crazier than anyone I've ever fought, so just so you know, there's no lingering beef between us. That's what he's saying right there, Luke. Maybe, maybe that's true, yeah. I mean, have you ever run into the bar, like you bumped into somebody in like your local bar, like, oh, I went to high school with that, yo, bro, and, like you overly like hug or, or two-handed shake, just so you know, guy, I respect your craziness, right? Dude, if I see people I went to college with, much less high school, I walk the other way. Look, you should boast. You should be like, look at me now. Dude, no, I'm not I'm not trying to have awkward conversations. Hey, how are things? But I don't give a fuck about your life. So, All right. Whatever. Uh, real recognizing real, Luke. This was before Usyk's victory over Joshua. Him and Ukrainian amateur teammate Vasily Lomachenko did a little tip-on-tip -tip action. But, Luke, do you know what the Internet's really talking about? Can we zoom in, Manich? The size of Lomachenko's baby feet, Luke. What's going on here? That has to be some kind of camera lens issue. No, By there's way, this multiple. Is, this is how me and BC greet each other right here. That's what it looks like. <laughs> there's multiple pictures of, of Lomachenko in the locker room, and they all have these really, really small feet, Luke. I mean, you know, he's, just, he's not a tall man. Maybe he's just got baby feet. I don't know. You think he has micro? Uh, no, just just stop that. Just he's got, he's got plenty of swagger and BDE, Luke. Even if it's not true, okay? Can you just go to the next slide, please? All right, Luke. Uh, also in the parking lot before two sixty six. Oh wait, sorry. This is in the cage. Nick and Robbie embracing a little real on real love fest. This was good to see, though. I liked this moment, Luke. Yeah, this was nice. Two old two old war horses. You know, 
Helping each other up. Commending each other on battle, yes. Yeah, yeah. They had a lot of respect for each other afterwards. Uh, In the parking lot, Luke, before 266, two Cali kids showing some love. Brian Ortega and Nate Diaz. I kind of popped for this. You? Yeah, I love the uh, the flat brim hat, like like West Coast style of wearing uh, hats that Ortega does. Um, plus he's got like the Chino pants and everything. He's very California, oh, very yeah. California. Oh, I love it. I love it. Those are two Cali kids. How about two Ukrainian kids? Vitaly Klitschko. Is he still the mayor of Kiev, Luke? I don't know, but look at the hug he put on Alexander Usyk as, uh, Ukraine wins on Saturday. Yeah. Dude, he's fucking huge, man. Yeah. He's like six, seven, bro. Yeah. Dude, he's a fucking large man. That's ridiculous. No, no, he's Jack too. No, no question about it. That wasn't the only love fest, Luke, in L.A. a week ago at an L.A. Chargers game. Conor McGregor and Sean O'Malley trading notes here. What do you think they're talking about? Leg kicks? I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Drugs? Wait, no, wait, 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 wait. No, I like, I, like, I like Sugar Sean a lot. I'm just teasing. But, like, uh, who's the dude behind him? Look at that guy. He's like Big Boss Man or something. Oh, you're right. He looks like the, the Big Show. Yeah, he's that's the bodyguard, Luke. Just in case anyone tries it with a UFC fighter, they get a little handy. Well, he's, right? Oh, because he's got Connor's cane. See him? Oh, he's the cane man. Yes, yes. He's, got the, he's the cane guy. Yeah, he's got his sugar cane. He's got his actual cane. He's got all that shit. All right, Luke. Uh, Luke, who had the best walkout mask over the weekend? Let's start at 266 with Team Ortega. Yes! The problem with this is I definitely appreciate the theatrics. Like, don't get me wrong. Anybody who tries to do something a little bit different than a standard walkout, you get thumbs up in my my book. So I give it thumbs up, BC. But here's the problem. Do you remember the band? I'm not even sure if they're still around, but they were kind of big in the aughts for a little while. Mushroom Head? No. They would wear masks that were black with white blacked out eyes like this and then big drawn in white teeth. They looked like the band Mushroom Head when they did this. Okay. It's really weird. Got a mushroom head. It's better than the rest. Green to red. Okay. Uh, Luke, the, the one we're comparing this against is Alexander Usyk walking out in front of 68,000 strong with like a space helmet on. Did you dig this? Don't know what it means other than he looks like, you know, Daft Punk has been in the gym. But, yeah. uh, dude, Usyk's fucking weird, so let him be weird. <laughs> Yo, th- th- here's what's cool about him. I'm glad that more than just hardcore boxing fans are getting to know him now. He's weird. He's hilarious. He's also a really good, like, family man behind the scenes. Like, I couldn't vouch for this guy anymore. He's my hero, Luke, okay? Did they say he didn't see his kids because he was training for six months? Yes, I believe they still live in Ukraine. He trains in California. Uh, you know, I mean, and- that's, that dude, I, 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 I can't, I don't imagine, I don't know what a scenario would be for me where I would be able to, like, live with not seeing my daughter for six months. Like, that's, yeah. that's crazy. That's wild, yes. Luke, we had some real boxing Friday night. Showbox at Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. They put a ring in the actual downtown street. And we got an upset in the main event. Bantamweight Saul Sanchez put it on Jerico O'Quinn. And uh, I think we got a little knockdown action here Ooh. early on in round one. But it was a uh, good match. Good matchmaking, as always, on Showbox, the, new genera- the next generation. And... Uh, this was a upset win, and Luke, it was also a little bit of a reunion. Barry Tompkins and Al Bernstein coming back together, the pair of Hall of Famers. Luke, they were oh. the guys, if you forget, they did top-ranked boxing for ESPN in the 80s and into the early 90s. They were always my favorite pairing together because you never knew who was the color guy and who was the play-by-play guy. They were just sort of like two donks going at it. I loved it. 
Yeah, that, that, the, the free flow ones are the best ones, for sure. Shouts to those legends. And, uh, dude, this guy fucking put it on him. He looks good. Yeah, yeah, he did. There was, there was no doubt afterwards, Luke. Great performance there from the Bantamweight. Uh, Luke, I don't have highlights like I thought I did of um, Callum Smith moving up to light heavyweight and destroying Lennon Castillo on that DAZN undercard. Um, maybe because Castillo came off on a stretcher afterwards, but he is deemed okay, Luke, which is good to hear. Let's keep it going. Here's some, some fake fighting, Luke. Did you see AEW Rampage Friday night at Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York? ATT, American Top Team, continued their invasion angle, and you had Masvidal giving it to Chris Jericho, Ben Askren style. Luke, the crowd, though, I don't think they were MMA fans. They didn't pop for this. Yeah, neither did I. All right, all right. Uh, it wasn't bad, though. Paige Van Zandt was part of the extended team, Arlovsky, JDS, um, and obviously Dan Lambert has been, you know, the mouthpiece for this, and he's incredible. There's a real wrestler there, Ethan Page. I know you don't care, Luke, so I'll just keep going. Wow, wow, Luke, look at that. Did he just blade right in front of us? Is that a blade job? Luke, I, I, I still... Th- it, this, pro wrestling is silly. I mean, I don't know what else to say. But, Luke, do you st- like me, do you still pop for blade jobs? Do you still pop for the old school theater that is keeping a razor blade slightly obscured and like your wristband tape and then cutting your forehead open to make it feel like a real fight? I, I pop for that grimy shit, Luke. No, I, no, I no longer do because I now use Manscaped products. I used to pop for the, the razor blades, but now I just use the lawnmower 4.0. All right. Hey, Luke, there was some um, Crazy Horse Bennett MMA highlights on the timeline, so I, I grabbed this memorable one. I forget what fight, what year, what opponent, what this was. But, Luke, is there any better highlight ever than this? Remember we showed the one of that Japanese guy last week slamming the guy on his face? This has to be the greatest highlight of all time here, right? And he had him dead to rights, too. He was, had the Kimura. He tried to step over the head for it, then switched to the armbar, and then got kind of lazy with the positioning. And Look at Crazy him Horse. It down. Yeah, Crazy Horse, Bach, whatever oh, else his his, uh, his uh, limits, he's always been super athletic, super strong. Luke, Look you this. can still find him in BKFC if you're looking for him, Luke. I'm not, but uh, I can respect, I can respect, you know, I, rem- I remember when he was active. In, I re- do you remember when the first Elite XC show happened? If you don't remember, remember this, he fought KJ Noons, and Noons was expected to run over him, and he got fucking demolished by... Uh, by this guy. So, you know, he's had some big, he's had some decent moments in MMA. Yeah, no doubt about it. Love me some crazy horse Bennett. All right, Luke, let's check out some real hungry, hungry hippos. Are you, um, are you as entertained by this as I was? They put Dude, the watermelon I, I love in. that you're showing me this because I'm not kidding. This is my favorite type of video for my daughter to watch. Okay. Okay. I mean, she look, loves they just the hippos dest- eating the watermelon. I mean, they destroy half the watermelon comes flying out. It's like me trying to eat with my eye jumping out, Luke. Yeah, they don't look like Egg Shen from Big Trouble in Little China, but um, they they got some strong ass. Now, jaws, are they bro. violent? Because Luke, they would they would f your shit up. Are they violent? Dude, hip, male hippos are incredibly violent. They account for a lot of deaths in parts of Africa where they're uh, they they take over uh, certain bodies of water. Michael Crichton, the famous author, wrote about them in one of his fictional books. But what he wrote about them was quite true. Um, they're in they're dude, you do not fuck with male hippos, especially like during like breeding moments or wow. seasons or whatever. They will wreck your shit. They'll attack boats, they'll kill people. Like they're they're fucking savages. I did learn a, a move in Mike Tyson's punch out to get around them though. You just kinda you gotta dip your head in the King and come Hippo. And, yeah. yeah. Didn't didn't King Hippo lose because you had to do body work on him? 
Yeah, yeah, he didn't he didn't take it well at the bread basket there. All right, Luke, check out this tweet from from uh, former Bellator star David Caveman Rickles, who was tweeting at Julian Lane, the infamous, famous, ex tough fighter with the UFC. Do we have the tweet here? This is just a poster. Can we zoom in on this shit? Yeah, can please? you blow it up? We shall Rickles, bang, bro. Rickles is like, hey, two. <laughs> we shall bang, bro. And Luke. Uh, Isaac Valley Flag. Glad you guys are banging. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, Valley Flag's response is better. It's probably better than the original treat, tweet. But uh, you know I'm popping for this. Luke, is there any way I could get you to watch this fight? BKFC Wichita. Probably not, no. Okay. They're going to bang regardless, Luke, okay? Greg Hardy would love this. It. They would love this. All right, let's move on here. Let's let's go over to Rate That Tat if we can, uh, Gaff. Let's start off with this. We got to zoom in. Luke, you sent this to me, and this is not Mr. Hebos level. I think it might be next level. What, what are your thoughts on Rate This Tat? Some of these tats are difficult to do, um, but most of these portrait works are pretty good. The Rogan is very good. If you look down at the calf, uh, sort of like Tib area, the Demetrius Johnson there is pretty good. Um, the one with B George St. Pierre and Bisping is not as good, but that's much harder to do. But these are pretty good. These are pretty good. Okay. You give it like a is, 7 out of 10? Yeah, 8 in most cases. Um, by the way, we have another tattoo. Did you see the feed there from Corey? Yeah, I responded. Uh, Luke, rate oh, okay. that tap. PFL's Clay Collard. He went all kinds of MK, and I'm not talking about morning combat. He went mortal combat. Let's check out this array of tats, and you give me your thoughts. Uh, the Raiden is not great. It's actually it's actually pretty bad. Um, you know, what, we, the, these are uh, they're not great. They're not great, unfortunately. I hate to oh, say wow. that. See, I thought that Raiden was pretty cool. I'd get that on my arm, Luke. Dude, look at the line work on the hat. It's a, it's a mess. I like it's it, mess. actually. I see, I'm a big Risen fan, so I support all Asian martial arts. I would be down Dude, with Clay, this. I mean, let's be clear about this. Clay Collard is the man, and it doesn't matter what tattoos he has. He's the man, but these are not, these are not my favorite, if I could just be candid with you. All right. Well, Luke, speaking of tattoos on fingers, uh, breaking news, Tyron Woodley did get the Jake Paul tattoo, Luke, and he put it on his flipper. Your thoughts? I don't understand this tattoo. Um, I get the middle finger thing, but it's on the inside of the middle finger, not the outside. Please tell me it's not real. Please. It's real because you can see that it's, it's got a sort of a purpley-orange look around the letters. Blow, it, blow up the letters here for a second if you don't mind. So if you see real closely, see how it's a little bit irritated around some of the letters? That does tell you that it's real. Here's what Luke. I don't get. They did not plan this well, right? Because you've got the I and then Jake Paul all in the same letters. Love is written differently, and it looks like they didn't have enough room, so they wrote it diagonal. Like, I don't, I don't understand this tattoo at all, really. Well, and also, getting, why did he get it? You're not in the sweepstakes anymore. You're getting overly technical, but I think the point is what you just said. You're not getting the fight, so who cares if you live up to the bet, right? What are you doing, yeah. Tyron? Yeah, I don't, when you go I don't to understand itch your this at all. Ass, when you, and, you know, when you go to itch your ass later tonight, there's going to be Jake Paul all over it, you know? Also, like, every time you look at your left hand, you're going to see it. Like, yeah, I, I don't I, know about that, dude. I mean, that's probably his wiping hand, to be fair. But, yeah, all right, Luke. That's I it. bet he stands like a real man. Yeah, I stand to pee like a real man, Luke, and I'd love it to try out this restroom. What's your urinalysis on this basketball court, Luke? <laughs> 
<laughs> That's an NBA three, buddy. You gotta have you gotta have like two tall boys. I gotta piss. Dude, poor Axel. Let me just say this. So Duff McKagan, Duff McKagan is like bricked up. He's clearly on TRT or something, right? He looked great. Slash looked like he has been eating salads for 20 years. I mean, he looked not like Duff all built up, but clearly taking care of himself, right? He's great shape. And Axel looks fine for his age, whatever that is. I don't even know. He was 60 or something. But, dude, he's kind of got like that like Chuck Liddell you know, middle that kind of pulls you forward a little bit with the skinny legs, you know? And he tried to do, you know, you know how Axel does that bit when he dances kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Dude, he tried to do that, like, across the stage, and it just looked like, he looked like one of those dudes who was outside of a locked men's room, and he had to shit real bad, you know? Like, he couldn't, he couldn't quite make it smooth all the way with the footwork. It was, he maybe needs to let that routine go a little bit now. How many times do you think Axel's had sex in an abandoned building on a used mattress? I, more times than you can count. How many times has Axel probably had to take a dump and, you know, there were like three groupies waiting for him to finish, you know, and maybe not even waiting oh, for him to finish. Oh, God, like. wow. All right, Luke, uh, let's head on down to the subway. You never know what creatures you'll find. I don't know where this train is going, but uh, next stop, Luke, the Jersey Shore. Look at this MFR. Dude, I can't stand the New York City subway. If I, I, every time you pull this up and you show me these pieces of shit, I just, I'm so glad I don't take the train anymore. By the way, is this New York? Because those the, the seats look different. I don't know, but GTL just the same. All right, bro. Yes. Yeah, Jim Tan Laundry. All right. Uh, hey, Luke, let's go to the best street fight of the week. These guys got sauced up, but check out the hook on number ten. The Hulk Dude, are will bring you back. Are we watching bum Luke. fights on this show now? <laughs> no, no, they're they're not. They have houses, Luke. But look at that guy! Oh yeah. man! Wow, Luke, I gotta I gotta give him credit though. He was much quicker than Nick Diaz was this weekend with those punches. I mean, they found the mark a lot faster, Luke. Oh, oh wow. Jesus! No, that is not Diaz Lawler too. That is a uh, guy in the hat. You got to move your head, bro. I mean, look at that. You're just right in the right in the center line, right? Yeah, not a lot there. Guy takes the angle on him, sleeps him. Oh. <laughs> you never would have thought that guy could bang, right? Never would have thought, Luke. You got to be wearing those. You got to get that guy in BKFC. What are we doing? Yep, yep. All right, Luke. I don't know if this is um, if this is John Dupont. No, no, sorry, it's Chatri Sidyong Tong, Luke. He was given a brown belt this week. Congratulations to a lifelong mixed martial artist. That looks purple. Is that that's not that's not brown. Anyway, Luke, he got a he got a purple belt. Your thoughts? Sweet, sweet, good for him. Do you think this ends like Foxcatcher, or was that rude, Luke? Well, that guy had real money, so probably not. All right, Luke. I feel like we ran this on the show once before, but I was watching this video again. It's so good. I got to run it one more time to close this week. Your friends over this there is, at High is, Rollers. This is listen. The the High Roller guys. We visited them. They're cool as shit. Their product is cool as shit. Their hospitality knows no boundaries. And now, BC, I think it's safe to call them innovators and inventors. Look at this. I mean, if you're in that room when this goes off, forget being high, dude. Do you, like, do you just pass out? I mean, this is, this is next level, Luke. 
dude, this kills COVID. I don't know if that's true, but I want to believe that. And if it Manish, does, can you zoom in on this? I got to look at the fine detail. I mean, this this blowtorch is ridiculous. But dude, uh, put that exhaust pipe right in my mouth. How did that guy day. not fall over? The guy that just took it to the face right there. Wow. Yeah. Look at Coach Latori. She's like, yeah, let me get more of that. Yeah, all right. Can you that, blame anyone in that room? I, that guy's just taking a in the face, a full-on facial, Luke. I think we need to investigate this. Just, just me talking here. We need to go to High Rollers again and be like, we need to inspect this uh, device of yours that has set fire to the world. Yeah, apparently. I don't think that's real. Is that real? I need to, I need to check that out. That's your shit for the week, Luke. I hope you enjoyed it. That's amazing. Uh, all right, time for odds and ends, BC. What do you have for odds and or ends? So, look, uh, you know, sad news to report that Aljamain Sterling is not fully healed, Luke, and he has pulled out of his, what, UFC 267 Bantamweight title rematch against Peyoter Jan. So, Luke, you're getting a lot of, you know, hateful pushback. Peyoter Jan quote tweeted his own tweet prediction from a couple months back that Aljamain would uh, – would bitch out and pull out. I'm not here to say it's any of that category. It seems like uh, some people are saying, Luke, that maybe UFC tried to rush him back quickly from injury. I Either way, we've got a situation now on how this title will be defended. And I think, Luke, for all the criticism I give the interim belts, this is a time potentially where an interim belt is needed. The top of this division is absolutely loaded. By the way, so is the middle and the bottom of this top 15, basically. Um you're not going to see a World Grand Prix tournament any day now. So, Luke, I was thinking, what's the best way to fix this, considering T.J. Dillashaw is the rightful next in line, but he's injured coming off of that win over Corey Sanhagen, and both Jan and Sanhagen are coming off losses, so it's hard to like justify that they run into each other. I've got two fixes for the UFC here, and I want to know which one you believe is the better move. Fix... Number one, you announced that TJ Dillashaw, since he's also injured and is probably the rightful contender next in line, passes to the front and will fight Aljamain Sterling for the full title once he is healthy. And in the meantime, at 267, your interim title replacement bout is Peyoter Jan versus Corey Sanhagen. That is option number one to fix this, Luke. You take so option least, one. I don't care what your option two is. Option two is you take a budding, growing, hungry superstar who just tweeted that he's available and he's ready and he's willing, and you give Sugar Sean O'Malley the Conor McGregor star treatment, and you put him in there against Peyoter Jan for the interim title. And you just say, hey, we'll see what happens next. No, you put in Corey Sanhagen. To your point, every circumstance here is super less than ideal. But they should have made a bantamweight. Dude, have you ever had nerve damage before? This was the funniest doctor's appointment I'd ever had in my life. I couldn't feel my finger and my thumb for like a while, okay? And every time I would push my shoulder forward, they would go instantly numb. And it was a problem. So I go to the doctor, I'm like, dude, I got nerve damage. And he kind of figured out it was from something I was doing, some physical activity. And so they gave me some like rehab, not to fix the nerve damage, but to fix maybe my motor patterns that were creating or making it worse. So I was like, dude, when does this come back? He's like, yeah, it'll be back in six months to a year. I'm like, is there anything I can do to make it faster? He's like, nope, just don't make it worse. And I was like, so wait, you're telling me your medical treatment is just to look at this and then just say the words, wait. 
Yes, that is literally what they prescribe. So, like, dude, we're like, if you got nerve issues in your fucking neck, you cannot rush that whatsoever. You have to be very, very careful. And so, the fact that they didn't give him an interim title or in this division to begin with is is just a mess. And now here we find ourselves with one. And now well, Aljamain has to eat more bad headlines. It's not really all that fair. There's an option C in this. It'd be a little brash, but it's not like we haven't seen the UFC in the past strip. GDR and Nico Montano under somewhat arguable and questionable circumstances because Aljo didn't actually win the belt, Luke, and it was a DQ finish. Do you strip him because you don't know when or if he is coming back and you say, look, well, you'll get a big fight upon return, but you didn't win the belt to begin with. We make the belt vacant, forget interim. We go San and forget TJ no. Dillashaw's hurt, and we go San Hagen versus Jan. No, for the you already get you already gave him the belt. No, you can't do that yet. No, no, no. And dude, he's Tell got a that legit- to Nico Montano, Luke. Her situation is much more complex and much worse. You know, to have nerve damage in your neck, and you and you already gave the guy the belt. You just gotta wait. You gotta wait. If he can't come back after like a full year or two or something like that, then yeah. They saved her him. a beating from Valentina. Remember, she was like a minus like five thousand favorite or whatever the record. You know, it like broke the record by like Barry Bonds on steroids levels. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, all right, so last hey, but no, not no, least no, for no. me, hold on, hold on, Luke, oh. real quick. Wow, we're way over time because this show. Yeah, so no good. shit, dude. No shit. What happens to TJ, bro? He will get first crack at whatever the relevant belt situation is at the time. I, I tend to think that he'll be back before this is all resolved okay. for sure. Okay. Kind of funny, though, that he was the guy that was carrying the interim belt before. Uh, okay. For my odds and ends, I go to one championship. Again, their leadership are donks, but their uh, product is pretty good. It's pretty good. So they had Marcus Almeida, also known as Bushesha, arguably the winningest jiu-jitsu competitor uh, ever, if you wanted, depending how you want to stack up titles, but certainly the best of our generation, the best post-Hadra Gracie, for sure, in at least amassing the number of belts and, and, and uh, Mundial titles and ADCC titles that he won. So he's finally transitioning to MMA. He's big. He's super athletic. In fact, he got away with a lot of like maybe technical deficiencies, even at the black belt level, by virtue of insane athleticism. And he won in his uh, one championship debut via North-South choke. So... You know, it was a fight he should have won, and he did, and it was relatively easy for him. But uh, keep your eye on Marcus Almeida Bouchesha. Love it. it. And also, as we mentioned earlier, Bo Nickel, the Penn State uh, wrestling phenom, Luke, getting the win in his MMA debut. I'm going to be following that story only because my neighbor, Luke, shout out to Anthony Weber, big time uh, amateur wrestling fan and and high school coach. He's he's been on the Bo Nickel train since day one. Luke, we're going to see a real fighter come out of this. Or what? I had Bo, I had Bo Nickel announce he was moving to MMA on my show. How about okay. that? My old okay. radio take, show. Take that. All right. Take that. Jimmy take that Smith. to your coach. Rewind it back. Take that uh, okay. one to heart. Yeah. So let's let's remind everyone. Check out later today. Going to do a short podcast, 30 minutes or less, on all the fights that we missed. So if you were curious about Hooker and everything else, we're going to get to it. want to remind everyone, if you want to follow us on social, we're everywhere. Like this video. Hit thumbs up. You can see where we are on Twitter and on Instagram and everything else. Wednesday, fan submissions. Friday, dead wrong. You got to email us, morningcombat at gmail.com. Send us your pics. Send us your photoshops. Send us your dead wrongs. Whatever you want to do. You want to try Showtime because we have a Showtime bout coming up this weekend. Go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, go do something else. We have merch, morningcombat.store. Lots of new stuff on there, Factory Town MMA stuff, and a whole lot more. You can go check that out. 
And then last but not least, DraftKings, the official sports betting partner of the NFL as well as the UFC. If you put down just a $1 bet for new customers on any Week 4 NFL game, you get 150 bucks free to play with there. Of course, use the promo code COMBAT, COMBAT with a K. BC, any final thoughts on today's epic show? Finally, Doc 5, Wednesday. Get pumped up, get ready, be there. It's, it's, a, it's a deep dive into... Uh, the growth of men and the lives of, of, you know, sensational, spectacular people like Luke Thomas and myself. So we'll see what, where that goes. People want to see the, the gritty details of gossip and the truth. They're going to get it in episode five. Thank you. There you have it. All right. So for Brian Campbell, Malka, Showtime, CBS Sports, I'm Luke Thomas. Thank you guys so much for watching. And until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.